Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Conversation. I uh, want to hope everyone here had a happy uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so, hopefully, you were able to spend time with friends, family, get some relaxation in. But now it's time to get back to it. Time to, as uh, the show uh, song beginning uh, states, stand shoulder to shoulder and supporting our president. Of course, we had more hearings today. What a debacle! I tell you what, we've got some audio from that today. We've got some audio, um, and it's a long one. It's almost a half-hour podcast that I think is very important to to play today. It's from uh, Newt Gingrich's uh, podcast. I definitely want to uh, play that later on in the show uh, about the plot against President Trump is bigger than many think, and that is where we uh, draw our title uh, from for tonight's show. Uh, But we're going to hear, you know, some highlights uh, from the – uh, the Nadler's uh, show now, uh, we heard from the Sh- Shift show, <laughs> uh, and then we're going to hear some things from the Nadler. 
uh, show. Um, you know, I've got a few clips, and as we go through the discussion, we'll have more. Of course, we'll have articles that you can find from www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com uh, and go to the Bards Logic newsroom. And so, you know, the the comp- uh, they had law professors. Oh my gosh, law professors. Uh, <laughs> given, of course, their opinions, which, frankly, we're not going to play any of the liberal ones here because, well, we don't play liberals here on the show uh, every once in a while, maybe, but not this time. But anyway, uh, so we're going to kind of, you know, highlight, uh, you know, some of the rebuttals against them. And, of course, you know, you have three liberals. You know, one, I mean, he states that he did not vote for Trump, uh, but, of course, one who's, you know, doesn't think uh, this is the grounds for impeachment. Uh, and so we'll hear uh, his opening statements for that, and that's probably where we are going to uh, begin the show tonight. And of course, I do see folks on the line, so if you'd like to chime in, uh, just push the one on your number dial, and of course, we'll get you into the show. I do hear I'm actually now got to remind myself to open up the chat so that folks who want to uh, chat are welcome to join us to do so. And uh, what well, we already got. Uh, so that one to chime in, so we'll open the mic up. we got plenty of time tonight. show has just begun, and so let's go ahead and uh, bring in Suzette. Uh, thank you very much, Suzette, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you. I'm well. Very well. Thank you very much for asking. And um, you sound like you're in good spirits, <laughs> as much as can be <laughs> for today. Exactly. So uh, I saw the uh, the hearings today. As a matter of fact, I was a guest on a on another broadcast Um doing commentary in between when they took their breaks. And oh, it was wow. very, very Great. hard <laughs> thank you. It was very hard to watch. Uh, in the sense of you have these three professors, um, clearly with great animosity towards the president, that are supposed to be looked upon as credible uh, professionals, um, and knowledgeable about the constitution and how it should be applied and as it you know, uh, in regards to impeachment. But it, it was so hard to, to take because they kept, uh, you know, putting in their input as far as uh, how much they hated the president just in their words that they would use, and, and it wouldn't even make sense. The one that you're talking about, Turley, um, Professor Turley, he um, he was about the only one with any type of reasoning and logic, and, and as you were saying, uh, she voted for Obama and Hillary, not a Trump supporter by any means. But he's able to set that aside and actually apply the Constitution, as it were, to uh, the impeachment process. And so um, thank goodness for that. <laughs> well, i tell you what. I was about to put this on, on Twitter today, and Dr. Trogan will get you in, is that they're setting a precedent, the Democrats are. One day, hopefully in five years, and I think it will probably be that. Donald Trump's not going to be president anymore. One day, and I'm not saying it's going to be after President Trump, one day there will be a Democrat president, and there will be a Republican House while there is a Democrat president. Mm -hmm. So the precedent they're setting, and I'm I'm kind of surprised with the solidarity, and I'm I'm finally to see the solidarity of Republicans – Supporting Trump, you know, and here's the thing the Democrats are so shooting themselves in the foot because think about it. There were Republicans who hated Trump probably just as much as some Democrats do. 
But them mm-hmm. trying this impeachment thing has galvanized the Republicans. Now you have your outliers, you know, such as Romney. But yeah, well, the more Romney opens his mouth, the more we'll be exploring the reasons why he's, uh, you know, against Trump. So if you know, unless he wants us to start talking about Bain Capital and things of that nature again, like we did, and he was running in 2012, yeah, I, I suggest he, you know, supports the you know the party at least he puts the letter next to his name with, right? Uh, but beyond yeah. you know folks like Romney, but you really haven't been really hearing much even from him lately. Is they've galvanized the the, the Trump supporters. I, mean, I don't know any Republicans now. I mean, there might be some out there uh, that aren't supporting Trump. So they've galvanized that. They made the base, and I put this on Twitter, and I'm like, look, you know, I know it's a fake quote, but you remember that, that uh, movie about, well, the start of World War II and the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor about waking a sleeping giant. I, I think that that's what they did with you know, a lot of the Trump supporters. And there's even someone, mm-hmm. like, you know, lady today said, you know what, and I agree with this, but I've been saying this for a while, and I wish we could get this going. And I'm going to try, I'm hoping maybe later on today she'll send me a direct message. But my hope is, is we, we need to get out. She's like, we need to get out in the street with our signs. We need to get our, out in the streets with our signs showing support of our president. And I'm like, yeah, it's about time we, you know, someone else said that. We need to do that. We need to show yeah. a mask, kind of like the Tea Party movement, that we support our president. Mm hmm. Yeah, especially right now, um, you know, we're showing because of the Democrats not only, you know, uh, splitting America apart, but they're also, you know, casting a lot of doubt among world leaders. So, and they're giving our president a hard time, you know, across the world. And and we can't have that, you know. And so those leaders aren't sure whether or not uh, the president has any support in his own country. So, yeah, it is time to get out there and show, yes, we do support our president. And let's go ahead and, of course, you know, we'll keep you on the line. We've got Dr. Tober wanting to chime in. And then I do have the opening statements um, from Jonathan Turley. But let's go ahead. Uh, b- uh, before then, we'll get in. Uh, Dr. Tober, it's great to hear from you, Dr. Tober. How you been? I've been good. I've been traveling in prayer for the last 14 uh, days, uh, Robert, so I haven't had an opportunity to come on. And I just want to kind of stay with your opening statement and talk about the four professors, which three of them were advisors in campaigns against the Republican Party 10, 20 years already. So the people that they had called on Wednesday or to do these speeches were never individuals that were really constitutionally correct. And then they called one individual that was not, you know, the Republicans did, and they did not allow the Republicans to have equal rights. So they had three Democrats. Advisors, they had one Republican, so right there they violate the Constitution. Next is that you know, we filed articles that Pelosi and Shape are both can be by the Attorney General prosecuted, and people don't think that representatives can. We've written an article concerning the fact that even a member of Congress, if commit treason or fraud. Even while in office, the Supreme Court ruled can still be prosecuted and removed. Now, a lot of people would look at the Constitution and they would read it takes two thirds to remove, not to impeachment, but to remove by the House themselves another representative and the same thing in the Senate. 
What they don't realize is the court already ruled and the Supreme Court that they can be tried under criminal charges if they're treason or uh, acts against the government. For an example, they receive money under the table. Now, we know that Schaaf and Pelosi have received money under the table and that they have, in fact, put together groups of individuals prior to 2016 trying to remove the president from becoming in office. So all the things you're hearing is the Democrats trying to cover their own trail. So all the facts are not even being told that when the the House finishes what they're doing, it then has to go to the Senate. It takes two-thirds of the Senate to actually agree to or not agree to the impeachment after the fact. There are several people running for the president in the Democrat Party that have to be there for the 13 days that the impeachment in the Senate would take place. These individuals are now complaining that the the impeachment, even though they're Democrats, are going to interfere with them running for president. Now we go into the fact that Pelosi and 13 representatives actually left the United States and now are in Europe under the climate control. So the same group of individuals that are part of the process for impeachment are taking your taxpayers' money and going into the climate control, which is not even relevant to the United States. We get into the other factors. We can talk about the president and what did he do. We're totally against NATO, but what the president did based on, you know, we wrote the articles before, NATO wasn't picking up their share of cost. The NATO has now increased their share, mm-hmm. but yet there's only 2% of the total NATO countries that have actually donated or put together or paid for the blockage. There are articles talking about, these are all factors why Trump should continue as president, whether he should run as an independent or stay as a Republican is still a question as far as I'm concerned, because the majority of the independent voters would stay with Trump. There's also now we're finding that the African-American voters are switching from the Democratic Party over to the Republican Party. So all this stuff that is created by Obama and the Democrat Party into socialism, the minorities are now seeing it has not been to the advantage of their own groups of individuals going back into that we have to rethink and what we're doing. Now, we can go all night just on that subject. I'm just going to stop it right there, Robert. And that's a good – I mean, I was going to uh, do this uh, this article. Uh, speaking of articles, I was going to do this article later on in the show, but I think you made it actually a good segue uh, into that. Yes, the Democrats are losing uh, you know, minorities to the, the Republicans, and the – the uh, Democrats, of you, as you know, have been working on a way to make up for that loss through uh, illegal immigrants, and that brings us to this the article that uh, I've got from the Barnes Logic Cloak Talk uh, website, of course, the the newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, and it's is from uh, Bart, Breitbart. 
says exclusive Kobach. Democrats now say out loud intent to turn America blue by immigration. Former Kansas Secretary of State and United States Senate candidate Chris Krobach says the political left is now quite honest about their long-held intent to turn the nation blue through mass legal immigration. During an, and, I, and I would even contend illegal immigration. But anyway, it says during an exclusive interview with host Alex Marvel or Marlowe on SiriusXM's Patriot Breitbart's Daily News Daily, Kobach said in the past Democrats would only talk behind closed doors about their efforts to transform the nation state by state through immigration, but that today they are honest about the plan. I think there are also many people on the left who are more politically motivated who say out loud that they want people to come into the United States who are more likely to become dependent on the welfare on the welfare quickly because they want them to become Democrat voters, Kobach said. And that used to be something that was once whispered. They now say it out loud. Indeed, 2020 Democrat presidential primary candidate Julian Castro readily admitted last year that the current importation of 1.2 million legal immigrants every year would help turn Texas blue. The Hispanic vote in Texas will continue to increase by – this is Julio Castro's tweet. says the Hispanic vote in Texas will continue to increase by 2024 – Democrats can win Texas, Arizona, and Florida, a big, a big blue wall of 78 electoral votes. In states like Virginia, the Democrats now control all of state government. The foreign-born population has grown more than 250 percent since 1990. In 1990, Virginia was home to less than 312,000 foreign-born residents. Today, there are close to 1.1 million, almost four times what the population was three decades before. Like Virginia, similar regions that were once solidly Republican had been handed over to Democrats due to the annual importation of more than a million legal immigrants. Orange County, California, for instance, is now dominated by Democrats following what the New York Times described as a 40-year flood of immigration to the area. Republicans' electoral prospects, though, are only expected to get worse because of the historically high legal immigration levels researched by Axios, The Atlantic, and The New York Times have found. Uh, Ronald Bronstein, senior editor of The Atlantic, noticed, uh, noted this year that nearly 90% of House congressional districts with foreign-born populations above the national average were won by Democrats. This means that every congressional district with a foreign-born population exceeding roughly 14 percent had a 90 percent chance of being controlled by Democrats and only a 10 percent chance of electing Republicans. The New York Times and Axios admit that legal immigration at its current rate will continue shifting the American electorate more towards Democrat control and discovered in 2016 presidential election between the candidates Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Among native-born Americans, Trump won 49 percent of Clinton's 40, uh, to Clinton's 45 percent, according to exit polling data. Among foreign-born residents, Clinton dominated Trump, guarding 64 percent of the immigrant population compared to Trump's mere 31 percent. The U.S. is on track to import about 
15 million new foreign-born voters in the next two decades should current legal immigration levels continue. Those 15 million new foreign-born voters include about 8 million who arrive in the country through chain migration, where newly naturalized citizens can bring an unlimited number of foreign relatives to the country. University of Maryland College Park researcher James Gimple has found in recent years that more immigrants in the U.S. inevitably inevitably means more Democrat votes and thus increasing electoral victories for the Democratic Party. So I say to you today, listeners, I say to you today, the Democrat Party is willing to sell out the United States citizens for electoral power. That's what they're doing. Get that out to the to the people. If you were born here in the United States, and you know what, you know what, I want to admit it, and then I'm going to bring it to uh, our main topic tonight, and bring in uh, the audience from uh, Jonathan Thurl. So, or Thurley, Turley, whatever. I'm sorry. If I want to hurry up to it before I get lose my thought, is that here's the thing. You know where people are like, oh, you know, when you talk about illegal immigrants or even immigrants for that matter, it shouldn't make a difference whether they're illegal immigrants just because you were. Born here doesn't make you any more special than you know these illegal immigrants or even immigrants for that matter. And you know what? They're missing the point. I was thinking the other day. It's not that we were born here in the United States that are reasons why it should be hard to become a citizen in the United States. When you, and, and they go, oh well, you 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 know you're privileged because you were born here. It's not that we were born here. They're missing the point. It's not important that we were born here in the United States. What's important is that we were raised here in the United States. That's what's important. That's why the people, the citizens, born citizens of the United States, and it should be so hard to become one because we were raised here. We were raised to adhere to the American ideal. These people from other countries, whether illegal immigrants or immigrants, have not been. That is why. They need to be Americanized, and one of the problems is because they haven't grown up here, they either take a long time to assimilate into the American culture. They don't assimilate into the American culture, and as we look at history, you know… That it is multiculturalism actually destroys a nation, not enhances it. So all these people are saying, oh, immigration makes us stronger. That's bullshit. It does not. It really doesn't. Adhering to what we as American citizens were born into, and if they can adopt them, that is what makes America strong. So instead of us saying, oh, my gosh. We we got to we got to have all these people come in, you know, to take these jobs or whatever. Or the American, you know, you know, United States is losing population. Here's a novel idea: have the citizens more babies instead of bringing in all these immigrants and illegal immigrants to bolster the population, to bolster bolster the workforce. So it's not about oh well we were born here that makes it significant. About American citizens. It's not that we're born here that makes it significant. It's that we were raised here, and we are raised here. Even if you're a liberal, we were raised here, and shrouded in the uh, you know American ideal. 
that's the difference. It's not about us being born here. It's about us being raised here. But at this time, I want to go ahead and get things teed up uh, for tonight. Um, we're going to hear first um, uh, Jonathan Turley, his opening statements uh, for the uh, you know quote-unquote <laughs> impeachment inquiry today. And give me a moment to uh, get that uh, keyed up for us. Thank you, Chairman Nadler, Ranking Member Collins, members of the Judiciary Committee. It's an honor to appear before you today to discuss one of the most consequential functions you were given by the framers, and that is the impeachment of a President of the United States. 21 years ago, I sat before you, Chairman Nadler, and this committee to testify at the impeachment of President William Jefferson Clinton. I never thought that I would have to appear a second time to address the same question with regard to another sitting president, yet here we are. The elements are strikingly similar. The intense rancor and rage of the public debate is the same. The atmosphere that the framers anticipated, the stifling intolerance of opposing views is the same. I'd like to start, therefore, perhaps incongruously, by stating an irrelevant fact. I'm not a supporter of President Trump. I voted against him. My personal views of President Trump are as irrelevant to my impeachment testimony as they should be to your impeachment vote. President Trump will not be our last president. And what we leave in the wake of this scandal will shape our democracy for generations to come. I'm concerned about lowering impeachment standards to fit a paucity of evidence and an abundance of anger. I believe this impeachment not only fails to satisfy the standard of past impeachments, but would create a dangerous precedent for future impeachments. My testimony lays out the history of impeachment from early English cases to colonial cases to the present day. The early impeachments were raw political exercises using fluid definitions of criminal and non-criminal acts. When the framers met in Philadelphia, they were quite familiar with impeachment and its abuses, including the Hastings case, which was discussed in the convention, a case that was still pending for trial in England. Unlike the English impeachments, the American model was more limited, not only in its application to judicial and executive officials, but its grounds. The framers rejected a proposal to add maladministration because Madison objected that so vague a term would be equivalent to a tenure during the pleasure of the Senate. In the end, various standards that had been used in the past were rejected. Corruption, obtaining office by improper means, betraying the trust of a foreign, to a foreign power, negligence, perfidy, Peculation and oppression, perfidy or lying and peculation, self-dealing are particularly relevant to our current controversy. My testimony explores the impeachment cases of Nixon, Johnson, and Clinton. The closest of these three cases is to the 1868 impeachment of Andrew Johnson. It is not a model or an association that this committee should relish. In that case, a group of opponents of the president called the Radical Republicans created a trapdoor crime, 
in order to impeach the president. They even defined it as a high misdemeanor. There was another shared aspect besides the atmosphere of that impeachment and also the unconventional style of the two presidents. And that shared element is speed. This impeachment would rival the Johnson impeachment as the shortest in history, depending on how one counts the relevant days. Now, there are three distinctions when you look at these, or the three commonalities when you look at these past cases. All involved established crimes. This would be the first impeachment in history where there would be considerable debate, and in my view, not compelling evidence of the commission of a crime. Second is the abbreviated period of this investigation, which is problematic and puzzling. This is a facially incomplete and inadequate record in order to impeach a president. Allow me to be candid in my closing remarks because we have limited time. We are living in the very period described by Alexander Hamilton, a period of agitated passions. I get it. You're mad. The president's mad. My Republican friends are mad. My Democratic friends are mad. My wife is mad. My kids are mad. Even my dog seems mad. And Luna's a golden doodle, and, and they don't get mad. So we're all mad. Where has that taken us? Will a slipshod impeachment make us less mad? Will it only invite an invitation for the madness to follow every future administration? That is why this is wrong. It's not wrong because President Trump is right. His call was anything but perfect. It's not wrong because the House has no legitimate reason to investigate the Ukrainian controversy. It's not wrong because we're in an election year. There is no good time for an impeachment. No, it's wrong because this is not how you impeach an American president. This case is not a case of the unknowable, it's a case of the peripheral. We have a record of conflicts, defenses that have not been fully considered, unsubpoenaed witness with material evidence. To impeach a president on this record would expose every future president to the same type of inchoate impeachment. Principle often takes us to a place we would prefer not to be. That was a place seven Republicans found themselves in the Johnson trial, when they saved a president from acquittal that they despised. For generations, they've been celebrated as profiles of courage. Senator Edmund Ross said it was like looking down into his open grave. Then he jumped because he didn't have any alternative. It's easy to celebrate those people from the distance of time and circumstance. In the age of rage, it's appealing to listen to those saying, forget the definitions of crimes, just do it. Like this is some impulse by Nike sneaker. You can certainly do that. You can declare the definitions of crimes alleged are immaterial and just an exercise of politics, not the law. However, those legal definitions and standards, which I've addressed in my testimony, are the very thing that divide rage from reason. This all brings up to me, and I will conclude with this, of a scene from 
Man for All Seasons by, with Sir Thomas More when his son-in-law, William Roper, put the law, suggested that Moore was putting the law ahead of morality. He said Moore would give the devil the benefit of the law. When Moore asks Roper, would he instead cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? Roper proudly declares, yes. I'd cut down every law of England to do that. Moore responds, and when the last law is cut down and the devil turned around on you, where would you hide, Roper? All the laws being flat. He said, this country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? And he finished by saying, yes, I'd give the, the, the devil the benefit of a law for my own sake. So I will conclude with this. Both sides of this controversy have demonized the other to justify any measure in their defense, much like Roper. Perhaps that's the saddest part of all of this. We have forgotten the common article of faith that binds each of us to each other in our Constitution. However, before we cut down the trees so carefully planted by the framers, I hope you will consider what you will do when the wind blows again, perhaps for a Democratic president. Where will you stand then when all the laws being flat? Thank you again for the honor of testifying today, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. I just want to show you the USPTA. Well, that's, well I'll tell you what, um, you know, I'd like to hear more, and perhaps we'll be able to, to you know, get more uh, on the show tonight. But I'd like to uh, uh, give to my, my own reactions, and, of course, we'll get uh, the folks here on the reactions. I was very uh, – I, I wouldn't go as far as to say touching at the end, but I, I really liked the, the story. Uh, and I find it that – that's. Exa- I mean, if you look at Nadler just years ago, what the, way, the way he was talking about impeachment when they were going after Trump. I'm not Trump, when they're going after uh, President Clinton. I mean, he's going against some of the very things that he, you know, he was saying uh, when, when, when Clinton was getting, was get, when Clinton was getting impeached. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and actually kind of reminded me uh, at the end uh, of, of my friends, my two friends especially, uh, that I lost because I voted for Trump. And here we are, you know, we, got, we, we had more in common in our friendship than just who we voted for. And my daughter went to a college visit uh, where he teaches uh, not that long ago. And time has passed since the election. And I reached out to him and said, Gary, you know, my daughter's going to be going there for a visit. How about we get together and kind of touch base? And I'm paraphrasing because this was a little while back. And he said, basically, Robert, we both – took separate paths, I really don't see what we have to talk about. And I'm thinking, we had more in common than just who we voted for president. But yet, because of that difference, and I'll tell you what, America better watch out, because I've said this many times. We, I mean, and what he said, we're mad. And, and, I, and I put it a different 
differently. We're not just mad. We hate each other. The left hates the right, and the right hates the left. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else is. But here's the thing. We better be careful because if that hatred gets gets strong enough, I would not doubt for me to see another civil war. Maybe not as bloody as the first one, but I tell you what, it's getting awfully vicious out there. So let's go ahead and uh, get your reactions uh, from uh, from you, Suzette, and then you, Dr. Tolbert. Go ahead, Suzette. Um, well, you know, everything he had to say, as I mentioned earlier, you know, was very logical, reasonable, and made a lot of sense. Unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears. You know, after he gave that statement, his opening statement, it was uh, business as usual. Okay, and so we have up next our counsel for the Democrats, whatever his face his name was. And they continued on. And it was like that every time after he spoke, and the Republicans had given him time to uh, defend himself or to speak up or say something after the Democrats would read an article of his and wouldn't allow him to answer any questions about it. They would just talk about the article and then, you know, immediately ask the other witnesses. But he's right. And I don't know if the Democrats care about that right now as far as um, it coming back on them, which it usually does and has done in the past as well when Harry Reid was um, the majority uh, or the Senate, uh, what do you call it, person Mitch McConnell's position is now. Anyway, so he did a lot of bad, did a lot of um, changing things, and then it ended up biting him in the butt because when the Republicans had taken the Senate, well, then they used the same rules like the filibuster. And so, again, they're going to do it again, but I fear that the reason they don't care is uh, because they have other plans, alternative plans. And uh, hopefully they're not successful. And what I mean by alternative plans, as far as this will be the last Republican president for the United States. And so they don't care. That, they that's what they're trying, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, back to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry for interrupting. No, go ahead. I mean, that's um, that, that's what they're trying. That's what that first article was about. You know, that, mm-hmm. that that's what their first – that's what their, you know, that article is about. They're, that's what you're trying they're trying to get it where the, the Democrats you – know, and here's the thing. People need to wake up to that. All they need to do is, is look at Chicago, look at California, look at any place, you know, big city in that, that the Democrats rule. We see what happens. Go ahead, Dr. Tolbert. Yeah, and I'm going to take it from a different perspective because I think that the four people that spoke forgot to about one direct subject. And as a doctor of education and teaching the Constitution – they should have looked at Thomas Jefferson, where he said the two-party system would destroy America. And when we get into the fact that an independent candidate should always be the president of the United States, that he should not be a Democrat or Republican, there should not be a basis that your president should be elected according to the political party or the cooperation, and the destruction of what they're doing could be to the benefits of the independent parties, because what is happening was showing the failure of the Republicans and the Democrats. We're showing that the Republicans did not support the president through the Senate, whereas the president still doesn't have the House, nor as the House of Representatives does the president have those individuals. We're also showing when we did the articles on the electors and the representatives that there was a failure 
of the Constitution, whereas there should be a ballot where one person should be on the ballot as the president and one person should be on the ballot as the vice president. When the individual gets in front of Congress and takes a political view on something, which the speaker took a view that he did not vote, he took a view that there would be a contradiction of degrading the the system, the viewpoint that the two-party system is what is destroying the United States of America because we're not allowing. It's going to cost over a billion dollars for an individual to become the president of the United States. So now you have Bloomberg that is running because he has billions of dollars. You have people running for office that are not running for office for the purpose of making America, and we'll use Trump's terms, great. We're, we're making America where it becomes a socialist country. The entire political system, whether we look at climate control or we look at the new act of the Mexican, American, and Canadians, if we look at any of this, we have a complete failure of government. When someone goes in front of the Congress on impeachment, they need to take the stand Do you want to destroy your cooperation? Do you want to destroy your political party? Then continue with the act of impeachment without following the Constitution. That's the way they should have been presenting this entire thing today. Well, I've got uh, a new audio I found. This is uh, Representative Buck uh, questioning uh, early today. And so we're going to, unless you want to bring anything else on that up. Uh, well, no, we got John who wants to chime in and then we'll get John to bring it, uh, bring that in, but let's go ahead and uh, open it up. Uh, John, were you watching C-SPAN today? As much as I could, as best I knew how. Did you? Oh, no, I was at work all day. I, I, I wasn't able to see that. A lot of the stuff I got tonight was during my, my hours before the show doing show prep. So, <laughs> yeah, Rob, C-SPAN has an app for that. You can put it on your phone and watch it wherever you're at, as long as you're. Oh, well, I'm, you a, well, I, I, I'm on the I'm on the phone all day. I'm on the phone all day at work. I'm I'm, you know, I'm I'm oh, on the phone right. literally all. Yeah, I I can't watch or listen to you anything. You my work. You had to take care of that kind of deal. Anyway, yeah, I've tried to listen to as much of it as I could, but something that perked up. But I hope everybody caught whenever Suzette was talking about, you know, them not allowing each other to have enough time to fully vet these issues and stuff. I mean, if we think about it, most of, in my humble opinion, and I think a lot of other people will say pretty much the same if they really think about it, we've gotten away from trying to reason to have any kind of reason, dialogue, or conversation. There's a lack of deep thinking, critical thinking, and not taking in consideration conflict resolution skills. It's a, it's almost as if the in, indoctrination school system is actually working to prove a lack of knowledge because look at what we got. We got a, a symposium on the failure of our educational system by watching these people, and like um, Suzette said, um, Mr. Turley is about the only one that came up with really anything credible to say for the whole thing. The whole rest of all of the conversations was pretty much everybody arguing on who's right and wrong about what should be allowed and what the Constitution really stood for. 
Uh, I think we've heard that several times on this show, don't you think? And then oh, whenever you were talking earlier about, you know, we ought to have more um, uh, U.S. citizens and stuff having babies and whatnot and stop the immigration and whatnot. And and I, I was also reflecting on when you were talking about your Breitbart article, you know, the Dems using that immigration to turn the USA blue. Well, hey, they just admitted that they're using foreigners to alter the USA elections. That's treason. Ooh, <laughs> that's a very good point, John. <laughs> You're right. They're using foreigners to get yeah to to change their yeah. That's that's a great point. They're trying to use foreigners to elect to get the elections to be changed to their favor. So it's just like we're playing King of the Hill, like I've said many times before. Every faction, whether they're for, I mean, you know, it's just like one faction's using another faction, and I'm, what I'm thinking of is like the ISIS Sharia law mentality people. They go over and play with the Democrats in order to get the Democrats to go in and help do their dirty work to get rid of the Republicans because the Republicans are the biggest threat to the Sharia law people. And so, therefore, the Sharia law people, they go in and pander to the Democrats for the, you know, homosexuality and all these different kind of socialistic programs. Programs because they know once they can get those um, shallow thinking people on their side to help defeat their enemy, the Republicans, so to speak, and once the Republicans are wiped out, then they'll just start throwing all of the homosexuals off the top of the buildings and, and killing them and stuff because at that point they've eliminated their biggest threat. So I'm like, like you were saying earlier, Democrats get real. Because your elected officials are selling you up the river by pulling this Machiavellian scam on you right now. And part of the problem, in my humble opinion, is when, when it, going back to this, this deep thinking, critical thinking, you know, conflict resolution kind of civil discourse and having reason to conversations, we're not doing that. And so everybody feels threatened that they their particular situation is slipping away. And then when you look at the stats across America, you know, some people don't like saying it about it. We got 320, 330 some odd million people. And we got several people into the millions that are living in their cars, living under in the tents or out on underneath the benches or, you know, under the bridges or with their family members, you know, like extended family or if they can get in the shelters. So these people feel threatened that their right to a life worth living is non-existent because of the corruption that's going on. And part of that corruption is we're not seeking truth or just you know, reasoning anymore. We're just trying to manipulate each other on these five-minute conversations in our Congress in order to try to win our point over and psychologically, coercively persuade enough people out by using the media, you know, because the multi-level corporations, you know, the big wig captains of industry, those Washington establishment people that are own all those groups, 
they want to brainwash society into thinking like they're thinking, and that's why they use all the data mining to make sure that they are only hiring people that think like them because then they get to little by little push all of the money towards people that think like them and push all the resources towards people like think that think like them and help get rid of all of us nationalists. But it still goes back to the point. All of these people are used in these situations in order to overthrow the government of the United States of America, you know, the Declaration of Independence. So that's treason. So even the multinational corporations have no loyalty to the United States of America. And all of these foreigners coming in, like you said, they're not assimilating. They don't have any loyalty to America yet either because they didn't grow up and get assimilated to this situation. So they're bringing their nonsense culture to this culture, and then we're having to fight with them. So the people that are in our culture that have invaded our system, like fascist, the... uh, communist, a socialist, a feudalist, whatever kind of is social, whatever you want to be, if you're not an American tied to the Declaration of Independence and the true spirit, promise, and hope of that Declaration of Independence being brought to the letter through the United States Constitution, then you're not an American. You're just fooling yourself to use the government to steal from the rest of us to get what you want. So anyway, I'll leave it at there for now. That's a mouthful. And I hope everybody got the point Suzette was bringing out because that is a big part of it. We're not giving people enough opportunity to fully vet these issues to find a reasoned, critical thinking, conflict resolution type answer to the problem. We just want to railroad each other to get what we want. Thanks for the time, Rob. appreciate what you're doing. Back to you. Oh, you're welcome. And let's see, I'll go ahead and get keyed up. Uh, this is a you know, back and forth, and this is with uh, Representative Buck and Jonathan Turley. Directly, first few questions to you. Uh, the other three witnesses have identified this amorphous standard. Uh, for impeaching a president. They've said that if a president abuses his power for personal or political gain, it's impeachable conduct. You agree with me? Not the way it's been stated. In fact, there's so many different standards. I got got a long ways to go here. Well, there's been so many different standards. One of them was attempting to abuse office. Okay. I'm not even sure how to recognize that, let alone define it. So Um, let me me go with a few examples and see if you agree with me. Uh, Lyndon Johnson directed the Central Intelligence Agency to place a spy in Barry Goldwater's campaign. That spy got advanced copies of speeches and other strategy, delivered that to the Johnson campaign. Would that be impeachable conduct, according to the uh, other uh, panelists? Oh, It sweeps pretty broadly, so I assume so. How about when uh, uh, President Johnson uh, put a wiretap on uh, uh, Goldwater's campaign plane? Would that be for political benefit? Well, I can't exclude anything under that definition. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with a few other presidents. We'll, we'll see where we go. Uh, Congressman Deutsch just uh, informed us that uh, FDR put country first. Now, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he was president, directed the IRS to conduct audits of his political enemies, namely uh, Huey Long, William Randolph Hearst, Hamilton Fish, Father Coughlin, would that be an abuse of power for political benefit, according to the other panelists? Would that be impeachable conduct? 
I think it all would be subsumed into it. How about when President Kennedy directed his brother, Robert Kennedy, to deport one of his mistresses as an East German spy? Would that qualify as uh, impeachable conduct? Once again, I can't exclude it. And how about when he uh, directed the FBI to use wiretaps on congressional staffers who opposed his, him politically? Would that be impeachable conduct? It would seem to be falling within it. And let's go to Barack Obama. When Barack Obama uh, directed uh, uh, or, or made a finding that the Senate was um, in recess and appointed people to the National Labor Relations Board and lost nine to zero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg voted against the president on this issue. Would that be an abuse of power? I'm afraid you have to direct it to others, but I, I don't see any exclusions under their definition. Okay, and how about when the president directed his national security advisor and the secretary of state to lie to the American people about whether the ambassador to Libya was murdered as a result of a video or was murdered as a result of a terrorist act? Would that be an abuse of power for political benefits 17 days before the next election? Well, not according to my definition. The others will have to respond to their own. Well, you've heard their definition. You can yeah, apply I, I those facts to I, their definition. I have a hard time excluding anything out of... How about when Abraham Lincoln arrested uh, legislators in Maryland so that they wouldn't convene to secede from the Union? And, and Virginia already had seceded, so it would have placed Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, in the middle of uh, the, the rebellion. Would that have been an abuse of power for political benefit? Well, it could be under that definition. And you mentioned George Washington a little while ago as perhaps having met the standard of impeachment for your other panelists. Um, in fact, let me ask you something, Professor Turley. Can you name a single president in the history of the United States, save President Harrison, who died 32 days after his inauguration, that would not have met the standard of impeachment for our friends here? I would hope to God James Madison would escape. Um, I, otherwise, a lifetime of academic work would be shredded. Um, I, but I, once again, I can't exclude many of these acts. Isn't what you and I and many others are afraid of is that the standard that, that your friends to the right of you, uh, and, and not politically, but to the right of you sitting on there, uh, that your friends have, have decided that the, the bar is so low that when we have a Democrat president in office and a Republican House and a Republican Senate, we're going to be going through this whole uh, scenario again in a way that uh, really puts the country at risk. Well, when, you, when your graphic says in your ABC that your B is betrayal of national interest, I would simply ask, do you really want that to be your standard? Now, isn't the difference, Professor Turley, that some people live in an ivory tower and some people live in a swamp. And those of us that are in the swamp are doing our very best for the American people, well, actually, but it's not pretty. Actually, I live in an ivory tower in a swamp because I'm at GW, but, um, <laughs> and it's not so bad. I, I yield back. I mean, don't try to say, you know, and I didn't, again, I didn't, uh, frankly, didn't play, you know, a lot of the, or any, really, of the, you know the liberals because I'm I'm sure you'll get there'll be plenty of that on uh, the ABC channels which that that's why I've kind of dubbed the mainstream media I call them the ABC channels <laughs> you know because I mean that pretty much covers all, you know all of them right ABC you know CNN NBC 
MSNBC, you know, stuff like that. They're all pretty much the same. Um, and so we'll go ahead and open up uh, the panel here. Uh, if you want to make any comment on on that, and of course we'll start uh, with you, Suzette, and the Dr. Colbert, and then uh, John. Uh, we've got uh, plenty of uh, you know time left over because I do get some uh, other uh, audio yeah, from today's uh, hearing. Uh, from uh, we, we have uh, Jordan, and we also uh, have a comment from him. And we also have uh, Gates, uh, an audio from that. But let's go ahead and bring it over uh, to uh, Suzette. Go ahead. I think um, that person could have made better use of their questions uh, and by asking something else that was more pertinent. But <laughs> trying to establish that there are other presidents, previous presidents, that could have been impeached just makes Congress look stupid because, well, if you knew these things, why didn't you bring up impeachment at the time to investigate further what you're alleging right now? So that wasn't a good move. Um, and also Professor Turley even indicated as much as well. Um, I don't know. There were a lot of uh, people up there as far as House members that did ask some good questions that um, exposed those three uh, professors uh, for who they were as far as uh, left political activists, uh, you know, disguised as professors, basically. Uh, and also, it was a good indicator of what our children, uh, not, not mine specifically, but um, the children of America, what type of education they're receiving from these type of professors. And, um, and if they didn't, if American people didn't recognize that, then, um, you know, <laughs> God help them and their children. Anyway, back to you. Well, what did you think, Dr. Tolbert? I think you all have got to go back and understand that when anyone was trying to speak or address the speakers, that they were cut off completely and they were not allowed to voice their opinion or their thoughts in prior hearings and discussions. And the limitations of what is being done by Nader and these other individuals are actually impeachment actions. And we go back into what we discussed earlier, that the attorney general should be bringing charges against the members of the House of Representatives for impeachment and, tre and treason. I think that the re political parties are trying to do away with the executive branch and they are doing so where the representatives want to control the government. And that is not the way the equality of uh, the federal government is supposed to be. And this gets back into what took place with the uh, Venezuela. They, in fact, got away and, and kept the Supreme Court and the executive branch and got rid of the Congress itself. In this case, what we're seeing is they're trying to belittle and take the power of equality away from the president. And I, I could get into everything that John spoke about and, and, and other things, but I'm just going to stay on that same subject. And let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, John. Well, um, I kind of am concerned whenever we get into this you know, let's go back in history and say, hey, look how this was done and this was done and this wasn't done. That that basically means that, you know, everything was done right back then. Not And take this with a grain of salt because just like when I say whenever um, 
you know, President Trump says stuff that I think he's putting his foot in his own mouth and aiding and abetting his own destruction by um, helping out his uh, opponents with the stuff he says that brings on more nonsense at him. And, you know, it's like, hey, Russia, do this and that. Help us find those emails, you know, or calling people scum, this and that, or whatnot. He, if he'd stick to the doggone issues of the policies or whatever the items I don't even know how to talk in that regards, but you know the the that's probably why I'm not a, in the government or on television or whatnot because I don't know how to say everything always. But if he would stick to the issues and and the policy aspects, then he'd probably do a lot better, and they wouldn't have as much ammunition to beat him up. I intend to make Donald Trump the best president that ever lived in the history of all existence. Because I think he has that potential, but at the same time, I'm not going to excuse the things that I think he's actually borrowing trouble and helping aid and comfort his enemies. And so, when I hear Andy Biggs talking to Turley and asking those questions about all the past of this and that, uh, he's he's that's based on presidents, presidents in the sense that you know the, the starry decisis type nonsense. And that's a slippery slope to me. I'm like, the truth is the truth. The just is the just. It doesn't matter what the processes are in the sense, uh, I mean, what the departments, whether it's civil or criminal or political, court of political opinion, the process of finding the truth and just aspect of whatever it is you're talking about is what you really got to get to. And when you ask these questions, have these double talk deception connotations like oh they taking care of the american interest or the national interest you know well how in the world do they determine what the interpretation is it's the same thing when people say the u.s constitution well whose interpretation of the constitution like i just said when i spoke earlier today's briefing was a you know a pretty much a poster of our corrupt educational system because they were all arguing about what was right and wrong about what they can do from a constitutional standpoint, and nobody agreed. And that's why I've said before on other sh- shows that we need to have a actual show or uh, a national discussion for us to come together on how we can move forward, making sure that everybody understands how our system is supposed to work and get that back into our education again so that way we continue to raise each generation being able to decide for themselves and do their own critical thinking and good reasoning skills to have a conducive dialogue that they can have conflict resolution to overcome these things. And one other aspect about this questioning, people keep bringing up this quid pro quo stuff. I'm like, dude, that's my money Ukraine was going to get. If there's no quid pro quo making them responsible to do X, then they shouldn't be getting the money, period. So when Trump says, oh, there's no quid pro quo, I'm not talking quid pro quo, I'm like, dude, there has to be quid pro quo if you're giving them any money because just the quid pro quo just means you're getting something for something. You're expecting something. So therefore, you're expecting them to be a legitimate government that's not corrupt, that's working against you, as, and then you're going to give them foreign aid. And if you're going to take my tax dollars and give it to a foreign country, you know, I'm the one that says we have to expunge uh, totally 
eliminate all the personal income taxes, all the property, uh, personal property taxes, abolish, you know, expunge the 16th Amendment and give every legitimately legal United States citizen uh, line-item veto power. So that way we can make sure that everybody, because even think about it, when you and I go to vote and we pull the lever for a particular candidate and whoever wins, are we not expecting something? That's quid pro quo, because you're entrusting them with your most valuable property, the governing of you. That's your property. And under the, you know, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth Amendment and a number of other amendments, your property, you've been deprived of exercising your ownership rights of your property because they pulled a scam over your eyes to say that once they're elected, they get to burden and encumber you against your will and treat you like a legislative slave, represent you like a pimp represents a prostitute. So therefore, you're, you're not even getting the benefit of the ownership of your property of governing you. They have just did a psychological co- coercive persuasion routine and stole your own property from you, and then they still make you pay. You still have to pay your taxes and stuff, and then they get to spend it the way they want to spend it without your say or not. So anyway, whenever Andy was talking with Mr. Turley, a whole lot of stuff was going into my head. Man, it's good to learn from all that stuff. It's good to bring it up, but make sure you bring it up in context. Make sure that we don't go down this slippery slope because then you start judging everything based on these cases of law that really are perversions of the true intent of making sure that every legal United States citizen gets to be a free person with you know freedom liberty independence and justice and your right to your own pursuit of happiness and that's where most of these indoctrination systems even these law schools have corrupted the minds of these lawyers and you've seen it on display today very proof of how corrupt our educational system is back to you rob yeah it almost makes me concerned to send my daughter to college um that's why but anyways uh we got uh, Susan on the line. We've heard from her for a while, so it's good to, to hear her come in. So let's bring her on. And then I've got uh, uh, some more audio, of course. So we've got uh, plenty of that to go. Uh, and so looking forward to uh, hearing that. We're going to hear from Gates. Uh, and then we'll uh, have uh, Jordan. And then we also have um, uh, some audio here by Representative Mike Johnson. Uh, do it at the top of the hour of the next hour once you play that uh, podcast from Newt Gingrich uh, about uh, – how extensive uh, the plot against President Trump is, and so and then we'll have enough time to make a little bit of commentary, maybe bring that into uh, the next week. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in uh, Susan. Uh, thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm a lightning kicking. <laughs> um, I I I usually listen, not always, but usually I listen. I just don't always have the energy to. Like the next three weeks on Wednesday night, I'll be working and I won't get home till probably 7 or 7.30. So you're just, you know. But anyhow, I'm sorry about your friend acting that way to you over politics. Uh, I appreciate it. We're friends for about a decade. That's crazy. That is. I have some ones who are liberal that I went to school with and I'm friends with. And occasionally when they make these comments, I'll put in some little thing. Um, And uh, usually they're very polite to me. Now, I am not saying that 
if it got to a very, but I, I'm very polite. So if it got to a really bitter thing, which I would hope it ever would, um, I don't know what they do. I just know that now they appreciate when I joke with them or laugh with them. And I don't stay on the subject of politics much. I just make a comment sometimes when they do. And that I, this quid pro quo thing, I hope we don't, I mean, it's, I enjoyed getting good grades so my mother would pay me for my A's. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's quid pro quo. I mean, I got the good grades and that was competitive anyway. And she gave me money. So it's, I don't have a problem with it, really. Um, now, Robert knows I'm a Seahawks fan. <laughs> Go Seahawks. <laughs> um, <but laughs> they've, uh, they, they uh, I can bring sports into anything or other things. They're doing something now that's promoting togetherness and it's helped with the chemistry. Um, rather than going in two buses, one early, one later, from the hotel to the stadium, they're now traveling on one bus so they can be together. And it's helped motivate them and uh, all that. And now the coaches, this is another incentive, and let's hope it please keeps working. Um, they, uh, on their plane trip back after the victories, because they've had all on the road victories. For a team that's had four trips to the Eastern time zone with one more to come, um, their incentive is the coaches are giving up their seats in first class for them. To, and and that is a very motive, they said, because otherwise they have to be cramped in the coach for several hours. So Ken Norton Jr., who's the defensive coordinator, said, I understand the players look forward to that. If Whitting gives them the seat, I'll take it. I'll take it every time. So, you know, that I, that's a form of quid pro quo. And I I think it's great. Whatever helps them, I, you know, I don't care. I think we could do the same thing with friends, with, pol- with uh, the politicians back there, but they don't want to. And that's the sad thing. Maybe they will never agree on everything. But I've come to learn from my group that sometimes conservatives can argue with you, too. So, you know, uh, you just got to roll with the punches. If my mother told me once that if it's your friendship or whatever is worth it, you just try to accept people for who they are and where they're at. It really means that much. So, you know, I can only hope that anything, some of the ones I, I've got a guy who's a friend with me, has been for several years, um, and we, him him and his wife both are friends with me. Well, he's not a Republican or a Democrat, but he hates Trump, okay, so that's fine. But we acknowledge that we don't agree with each other all the time on things, but he told me if he was ever elected for president. He ran. Oh, <laughs> we laugh at that. But he would definitely pick me for his cabinet. And that's from somebody who doesn't see everything the same way I do. He just appreciates the common sense. And just because I don't agree with him doesn't mean I don't have common sense. 
So, and I feel the same way about him. We we enjoy and we learn from each other. So, oh, that's all I have to say. I've said it. <laughs> well, then I get yeah, we've got plenty of. Um, the next thing I, I've been wanting to play these because these, these guys made some great points here. Um, and this one is, is Gates. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, key that up. <laughs> and then after that, we'll have uh, Jordan. And then we'll see where we're at uh, time-wise. So let me get this keyed up for you. Hello? Trump to be the president of the United States in the 2016 election, and there's one party that can't seem to get over it. Now, we understand the fact that in 2018 you took the House of Representatives, and we haven't spent our time during your tenure in power trying to remove the Speaker of the House, trying to delegitimize your ability to govern. Frankly, we'd love to govern with you. We'd love to pass USMCA. We'd love to put out a helping hand to our seniors and lower prescription drug prices. It's the will of the people you ignore when you continue down this terrible road of impeachment. Professor Gerhardt, you gave money to Barack Obama, right? Uh, my family did, yes. Four times? Uh, I, I, that sounds about right, Mike. Yes. Mr. Chairman, I have a series of unanimous consent requests relating to Professor Feldman's work. The first, Noah Feldman, Trump's wiretap tweets raise risk of impeachment. Gentlemen will suspend. Has, has the, has my time. We'll, we'll take that time off. As the uh, gentleman submitted, uh, have we seen those you know, that, that material? We can provide it to you as it's typical and we'll for you. And we'll consider the unanimous uh, consent request later after we re- review Very the well. Material. Very well. Thank you. you. Gentlemen, may continue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Feldman wrote articles entitled, Trump's wiretapped tweets raise risk of impeachment. He then wrote, Mar-a-Lago ad belongs in impeachment file. And then uh, Mr. Uh, Jake Flanagan wrote in, uh, in courts, a Harvard law professor thinks Trump could be impeached over fake news accusations. My question, Professor Feldman, is since you seem to believe that the basis for impeachment is even broader than the basis that my Democrat colleagues have laid forward, do you believe you're outside of the political mainstream on the question of impeachment? I believe that impeachment is warranted whenever the president abuses his power for personal benefit or to corrupt the democratic process. Did you write an article entitled, It's Hard to Take Impeachment Seriously Now? Yes, I did write that article. And in that article, did you write, write, hold on, I've limited on time. Did you write, since since the 2018 midterm election, House Democrats have made it painfully clear that discussing impeachment is primarily or even exclusively a tool to weaken President Trump's chances in 2020. Did you write those words? Until this call in July 25th, I was an impeachment skeptic. Very well. changed my mind, sir. And for Thank you. I appreciate your testimony. Professor Carlin, you gave 2,000 bucks, or you gave 1,000 bucks to Elizabeth Warren, right? Uh, I believe so. You gave 1,200 bucks to Barack Obama? I have no reason to question that. And you gave 2,000 bucks to Hillary Clinton? That's correct. That's Why so much more for Hillary than the other two? Because I've been giving a lot of money to charity recently because of all of the poor people in the United States. Well, those aren't the only, those aren't the only folks you've been given to. Now, you, you, have you ever been on a podcast called Versus Trump? I think I was on a live panel that the people who ran the podcast called Versus Trump. On that, do you remember saying the following? Liberals tend to cluster more. Conservatives, especially very conservative people, tend to spread out more. 
perhaps because they don't even want to be around themselves. Did you say that? Yes, I did. Do you, do you understand how that reflects contempt on people who are conservative? No, what I was talking about there was the natural tendency, if you put the quote in context, the natural tendency of a compactness requirement to favor a party whose voters are more spread out. Well, and I do professor, not have contempt hold on. I'm, again, for I'm very, I'm, I'm and very limited on time, professor. And, and so I just have to say, when you talk about how liberals want to be around each other and cluster and conservatives don't want to be around each other and so they have to spread out, it makes people – you may not see this from, you know, like the ivory towers of your law school, but it makes actual people in this country when feel the president like, excuse calls me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. Now, let me also suggest that when you invoke the president's son's name here, when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. So let's see if we can get into the facts. To all of the witnesses, if you have personal knowledge of a single material fact in the shift report, please raise your hand. And let the record reflect. No personal knowledge of a single fact. And you know what? That continues on the tradition that we saw from Adam Schiff where Ambassador Taylor could not identify an impeachable offense. Mr. Kent never met with the president. Fiona Hill never heard the president reference anything regarding military aid. Mr. Hale was unaware of any nefarious activity with aid. Colonel Vindman even rejected the new Democrat talking point that bribery was invoked here. Ambassador Volker denied that there was a quid pro quo, and Mr. Morrison said there was nothing wrong on the call. The only direct evidence came from Gordon Sondland, who spoke to the president of the United States, and the president said, I want nothing, no quid pro quo. And you know what? If wiretapping of political opponents in impeachable offense, I look forward to that inspector general because maybe it's a different president we should be teaching. And I have to say, wow, about that one. That's one I definitely wanted to get out tonight uh, because, you know, especially at the end, I think, I think there were some great points there made. Uh, especially at the end there, uh, you know, the litany of no facts throughout the, the, the ship show or what I've been like to call political theater uh, during those hearings. He gave the litany there. It also uh, was great when he said, you know, who here has material facts in the case and not one of them could, could raise their hands because they don't. I mean, all that is about these guys and, and their opinions of, of what they think uh, would be impeachable. And then, uh, you know, about the when I want to play the next clip um, where you heard uh, earlier on in this audio where, you know, she's saying, well, you got to take my quote in context. That is going to play an important part in the, the next audio that you'll hear from uh, Jordan. Uh, but let's go ahead and get our panel up, uh, get our panel here. And it looks like we lost Suzette again, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, get her back Um and so let's uh, and, and real quick, um, we have got something in the chat here. Uh, uh, they're asking who is Fiona Hill, who is uh, Lieutenant Commander William Vidman, who is Ambassador Stolen. And we'll uh, go over those uh, in a little bit before we get the time that. If you want to chime in, you can always call us as well at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Hopefully, we'll again we'll be able to get uh, Suzette back in, but we'll go ahead and talk to you, Doctor uh, Tolbert, John, and then. Uh, Susan, but first, but anyway, so yeah, when I played the, the audio from Jordan, uh, keep in mind about what uh, she said about 
you know, about taking things in context. That's going to pay. Uh, that's going to take a very uh, important role in that next one. So let's go ahead and go to you, Dr. Cooper. What was your thoughts on that? On that audio? Yeah, I I really don't think anyone can say anything against or either add anything to that because of the fact that this has been a one-sided issue and it's taking us to a socialist uh, economy. And I think that's what should have been the only thing added to it. So I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to drop off in a few minutes, Robert. I just want to thank you for allowing me to speak for a few minutes. God bless. Oh, you're welcome. You take care. Go ahead, uh, John. Don't go, Dr. Tolbert. Don't go. Remember the movie Shane? Am I on? Oh, no. Go ahead, John. Yeah, we lost uh, uh, Dr. Tolbert. Uh, and I was uh, chatting with uh, Dr. Tolbert and also with uh, Suzette on the line. So we'll, we'll, I, I missed what you said there, uh, John. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, don't go, Dr. Tolbert, don't go, like you know, the movie Shane. But anyway, as far as the Matt Gates thing, um, see these kind of questions to these second-hand kind of people, they call them witnesses, but what they witness, second, second-hand hearsay, it's kind of like, Somebody called you and told you a story. Now you called somebody else and told them a story. I mean, no, none of you actually seen what happened or was in the room or was on the phone. So it's kind of ridiculous in a way to me. And they missed a point in, in really trying to, if they're going to bring these constitutional lawyers in, why weren't they actually helping uh, people learn more about what the true reality of our Constitution is. Well, it's because each one of them grew up thinking what they wanted to think, and none of them come to an agreement, you know, what I'm always preaching, mutual assent. So now we have all these legal definitions, and all of us think about how we define them ourselves to our own definition, and that's what Mr. Turley, you know, the the fourth guy, uh, I forget where he was from, Kim, uh, yeah, George Washington University Law School professor uh, Turley. Um, he was mentioning pretty much that we have all these legal terms and people are just lowering the standard and the understanding of how they're actually supposed to represent the rule of law. And so now, and that goes to the point that I've been trying to make through all of these investigations from the time Comey and them started their investigation for weeks and months. I don't know how long that was. And I was saying, Hey, this is just another trick to try to water down the rule of law and scam the masses who are not paying attention into a new mindset to they, that they can continue to manipulate and control you. And then the next thing after the Comey investigation, well, we now got Rod Rodenstein, Hannah Nott, the um, affidavit with the doggone Michael Steele dossier, and that's all fabricated information. And the judge at the FISA court does not predicate the doggone evidence and facts. So there's an abuse of process, abuse of discretion, abuse of power. They um, malfeasance because they didn't properly make sure that all of the facts and evidence were credible before they actually. Um, you know, authorized the affidavit for, you know, probable cause search warrant to do the investigation. So that means Rod Rosenstein had signed off on that and the Doug on Visa court judge signed off on that. And I'm sure they did it, um, a kind of like a judge shopping routine because 
You know, Rod Rosenstein and them, they are exclusively corporate governing nutbags. Now, I would also say that you, you can probably push it a bit. To, they're probably globalist. But all of these people that are ganging up on Trump are actually using Trump because it's Republicans and Democrats. They're all globalists. But to not jump off that bandwagon and take this in a different direction, but to get back, Matt Gates is asking all these questions to this lady, and it's kind of ridiculous he's asking these questions. But it sounds like he's just trying to get catchphrases that they can do snippets of audio in the future to smear the Democrats with in their upcoming publicity and marketing for future elections or whatever, just trying to make sure that they have something. And plus, they don't know how far this thing's going to go, so they're trying to pull out as much information out of these people when they're forced to deal with them because the uh, Republicans, from what I can tell, uh, they're either complicit in playing this, the wingman with the corrupt globalist Democrats, and you got the cor- corrupt globalist uh, you know, Washington establishment Republicans playing wingman with them, or they're just trying to go with the flow, like I was saying at the last show, to let these Democrats and all these corrupt hang themselves, just giving them a, a noose. Because remember, what, two or three shows ago, I was pointing out how, hey, this actually is um, vexatious litigation, and it could lead up to malicious prosecution. And I was hoping that that's what Trump was maybe laying the groundwork for to give them enough rope and noose to hang themselves with. So that way, after the first of the year and before the next election, he pulls out a whip, uh, you know, opens up a can of whip, you know what, and takes them to the test. But anyway, these questions and stuff, really, they're nothing but trying to manipulate the mind control from one standpoint, and, and then at another standpoint is trying to find food for clip, clips of audio and stuff that they can use down the road just in case they need it. But that, for well, now, well, that's about it. I'll back to you. Well, all of and uh, there's uh, be wise as serpents in the chat uh, pointing out, you know, the commonalities, of course. Um, between it says uh, Fiona Hill, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman, uh, Ambassador Soland uh, have commonalities with Nadler and Schiff. Uh, that, uh, says all of them have one thing in common. It says Israel, um, and so that would be. You know, I'd like to you know hear more than that. Uh, and so, you know, perhaps uh, what, they'll uh, be wise to put more on that in, in, in chat real quick. Uh, but let me answer, let me answer to uh, what you're saying about, you know, with, with the Republic. All, all are Israel dual citizens, Israeli dual citizens. Huh. Yeah, I've heard something about that, not of them specifically. Uh, but anyway, I, I want to get uh, to your point, um, you, you know, John, about, about the audio with, with, you know, the Republicans is – you know, and we'll talk namely, you know, here uh, with Gates is that I mean, no, I, like I said, I think they're making, you know, I think he made great points. I don't think it was just, a, you know, uh, talking points, you know, to be played later. I mean, as you said, I mean, there, there was a litany of facts that they don't have, you know, the litany of people that had no facts, you know, who have been testifying, you know, from the Schiff show to now to Nat to the Nadler show. None of them have any material uh, evidence, no material facts. Um, you know, and when we asked them, I mean, he said, "Raise your hand if you have any material facts in the case." And they said, "No." I mean, it's, I mean, that's important to say to show that this is just all a sham. 
And then when he uh, puts in, you know, about uh, keeping things in context, uh, I think that's a good, it was a good setup for, you know, what, what Jordan brought up or uh, brings up earlier. And I think that's what the, um, you know, this next clip that we're going to uh, to have with uh, with Jordan in there. So uh, let me get that uh, let me get that keyed up. It says all of them every last yeah. time. And, oh, okay. So I guess uh, be wise. The serpents is talking about you know them. We mentioned dual citizenship uh, before. I don't know if that's something that you discussed more at length, John, uh, or, or someone else. Maybe it's Dr. Tolbert who was talking about uh, dual citizenship, or maybe it was uh, you know uh, you know one of the other guys we've had on here. Um, I'm trying to remember. Can't come to mind, but. Um, Maybe Jim Connor Jr. was mentioning that, but let's uh, again. This is uh, this next clip is because we're almost about the top of the hour here. So let me go ahead and get this uh, audio uh, queued up for us. It's important, isn't it? Yes, sir. Thank you, gentlemen, for yielding. Uh, Professor Carlin, context is important, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, because just a few minutes ago, when when the, our colleague from Florida presented a statement you made, you said, "Well, you got to take that statement in context." But it seems to me you don't want to extend the same or apply the same standard to the president. Because the now famous quote, "I would like you to do us a favor," you said about an hour and a half ago that that didn't mean us, didn't mean us, it meant the president himself. But that's that the clear reading of this. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because you know what the next two words are. Um, I don't have the document. I'll tell you, because our country, he didn't say, I would like you to do me a favor, though, because I have been through a lot. He said, I want you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot. You know what this, this call, when this call happened? Happened the day after Mueller was in front of his committee. Of course, our country put, was put through two years of this. And the idea that you're not going to say, oh, this is the royal we, and he's talking about himself, ignores the entire context of his statement, that whole paragraph. You know what he ends that paragraph with? Talking about Bob Mueller. And this is, this is the basis for this impeachment, this call. It couldn't be further from the truth. You want the, you want the standard to apply when, when Representative Gates makes one of your statements. Oh, you got to look at the context. But when the President of the United States is clear, you try to change his word. And when the context is clear, he's talking about the two years that this country went through because of his Mueller report. General Somehow that standard doesn't apply to the President. That is, that is ridiculous. And again, and more good points. You know, when, when they're talking about context, and remember, the whole this whole uh, impeachment debacle is predicated on the, uh, and, and I'll get to, to that. Be wise, as servants you have in the chat. But the whole this whole impeachment, you know, debacle is predicated on, uh, you know. This call, of course, now they're trying to expand it because you know they know they've tried everything else, and now they tried to have uh, the conversation, you know, with Ukraine and trying to say. Well, remember, first they said it was, uh, you know, quid pro quo, and then they said, well, you know, it's bribery, so they can't even get that straight. And it's all predicated on this, you know, this call, and, and they're and they're dissecting it and and putting it apart. Say, look. You, know, you got you guys have nothing. Just like with the Russian collusion, there's no smoking gun. There's no there there. And then they're putting these so-called experts on, who obviously have history of you know hating Donald Trump or you know or, or being you know very far you know very far left, and some being contributors 
as we heard earlier, you know, contributors to campaigns of the Democrats. You know, so you know, I, I think that's you know important to point out as well. And then again, I think that that's why I want to play the clip about does anyone here? And the Democrats did that last time when when they were talking about uh, you know the different you know he mentioned Sondland, he mentioned. Uh, the other people, uh, what, what was that one lady who was uh, on there, Yalovich or whatever her name was? I mean, none of them, you know, wh- when they asked him, I, I think I might even had that. Um, they're like, no, no one had anything. I mean, no one had it, you know, had anything on them, on them. So, you know, that's important. So going back to uh, to our chat here is uh, we've got. Uh, it says, oh, it's tricking a book. Oh, wait a minute, I missed a one. Uh, so it's not a demo. Interesting. Well, I don't know about. Okay, so I know we have some folks who would uh, subscribe to this. I, I don't know if I, I do, but it says, and it's not a Democrat coup d'état, which I think it is. Rather, it's an Israeli. You now, see, the Israeli coup d'état recognized. Don't be ignorant. Okay, so um, Democrats and Republicans are merely two heads of the same snake. We say that a lot here on the show. I mean, I, I remember. I don't know. Uh, be wise to. Uh, be wise as a servant. I don't know if you're a long-time listener on the show, but for years, when I mean years, I mean this show has been going on since 2012. So about seven years I've been doing the show, and for the vast majority of the show, I've been an independent. I've been nonpartisan. I've been bashing the two-party system. I've been supporting, uh, you know, in multi-party systems, much like they have there in Ireland. I still would like to see that. But I tell you what, the way the Democrats have gone and then how an election went in uh, the state of Kentucky where you had a libertarian basically cost the election, if, if it's even a true election. Because, I mean, I think there's a lot of fraud there, but uh, that you know, a libertarian who, that caused the election of a, a conservative governor uh, there in Kentucky. And so, I mean, all this going on, it, it pretty much brought me over to be not just a Republican but a partisan uh, Republican. Uh, because what the third party, at least in this instance, has cost, uh, at least you know for the governorship in in Kentucky, but I'm afraid that it, it can cost you know the presidency as well. But as to what you said, so I mean I've been a, uh, a big a, a big supporter of uh, multi parties, but, but back to your your saying, it's a totalist trick in the book: divide and conquer. Uh, collusion is not criminal. Collusion is first and foremost a media term. Uh, the prosecutorial term conspired. Trump has historically voted a Democrat. Well, and that's one of the things I've said here on the show, and that's probably why he's equally hated by some Republicans. You know, at least until now. I mentioned earlier in the show is that you know you even had plenty of Republicans that hated Trump until the Democrats started this, and they pretty much galvanized uh, you know the Republicans you know against the Democrats. And, you know, what I don't understand, I mean, divide and conquer. I mean, I could see where a country such as Russia or China, China maybe even more so than Russia, would want to divide and conquer us here in the United States. But I, I don't see where Israel, you know, on, on your point, is. Well, well, okay, let me get back to the. Before I go to that point, as we were talking about, he voted. For one, Trump not really being a Republican, he's going to vote. I mean, when he's when you're a business, he's going to vote for whoever he thinks is going to, you know, help out his businesses. That you know, that's business. That's just how business works, you know. And so to say, well, you know, he's, you know, 
voted Republican, hundred Democrats, hundred Democrats, probably gave money to Democrats. Oh, sure, I, I don't discount that at all. Um, he, you know, again, I don't think he's really a Republican. Do I really think he's a Democrat? Mm, no, not really. Uh, I think he's a populist. That's what I think Trump is. You know, and but but to my point is, uh, you know, to my okay. So my point is, is I don't understand why, you know, people would think that the that Israel would want to divide and weaken their greatest allies, literally on the planet. You know, why would they do that? They, there's no benefit for Israel to do that. I just I don't see any benefits for that. And Robert, you know. Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah. Um, see, there's it goes back. To that aspect that I was talking about earlier, different factions are playing king of the hill, trying to figure out who gets to maintain the power. And there's certain groups of people that believe that the Jews have so much control, they're the ones that's actually controlling the strings on a lot of our economies around the world. And it, it goes into that same thing. I'm, I particularly think that it's it's several different people having control, but all of them, even though they may be from different factions, they all have one goal in mind, that they want to exclusively corporate govern all jurisdictions as much as they can. So now you have certain factions, like the Sharia faction, that have more control over them, certain aspects, like Iran and some of the Middle East or whatnot, and that faction wants to continue to maintain its control and use fascist-like mentality to continue to run, rush out over people. But then you have Zionists or Jews or whatever from other um, aspects of our different you know, places around the world that have their hands in the investment, financial banking, like the Federal Reserve banking cartel people that own shares and get to manipulate that. And they sit on also the boards on many of these multinational corporations. They may not necessarily be of any particular geographical location as far as like a country because there's so many of them spread throughout all the world, but they still have that Zionist or uh, one world exclusive corporate governing mindset. And, you know, then you have the fashion, I mean, the, the Marxist, socialist, communist, different factions that are fighting to try to get to be the king of the hill and maintain that power. So I think that's where that's coming from. I just don't have an answer to know. I don't know enough about everything that's going on to know that one particular group, the Jews, because they're or Israelis, because they have a duopoly or whatever citizenship, that that actually puts them in full control. They may have some control to a certain extent, and they're fighting to be the top nut, maybe. Uh, but I'm not sure, but I can see where that ties in. And I agree with you what you were saying earlier about Matt Gates and having no material facts and, and information. I wasn't saying that the, that the only thing he was doing was talking points. In addition to what you guys had already said, I just added to the fact I can see how they're you know, making opportunity to try to rebut stuff that might come down the road by asking these kind of questions. So they'll have audio clips to rebut them or to push a particular publicity or marketing point. Because you're right, all these information, these points are very valid. And what Jim Jordan was saying and whatnot. My my contention is is they shouldn't have to waste their time with these particular people in this kind of setting anyway, because none of them are, you know. Um, 
first, what do they call them? You have to have direct um, witness influence or, or um, you know, the word, I can't think of the right word off the top of my head. They didn't, they weren't directly witnessing the acts. So it's just like the, 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 what is it, the document, the transcripts that Trump keeps talking about? Well, in, most people that I'm aware of now, like I said, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm not Mr. Know-it-all, but I've, you know, been around a little bit and had my time playing around in the judicial system on both sides of the fence. And most, a lot of people, that, almost everybody I've ever talked to knows that these transcripts are always summaries. The 99% of the time, you will be very lucky if you petition the court to give you a transcript of the court case you're involved in, and it is actually verbatim. It never is. I've never, ever heard of them putting out a verbatim one unless you really go through a long push through a number of court battle situation type things to get them to give you that. And so they won't even allow you to record in there a lot of times. If you come in and want to record it yourself, that's the only way you're going to usually. And this is just my world experience, not, you know, not very strong. I don't have a whole lot of background in this, but um, I've never known anybody that they would to allow 99.9% of the time they said, no, you can't record, but if you send mail us a request, we'll send you a copy, and the copy is always edited and altered. And so Trump, talking about this transcript, everybody that's ever had any kind of direct connection with these court systems know that's not a, direct, a full verbatim conversation of the actual conversation that went on. So it's, it's secondhand right from the start. So all these people are commenting on this transcript, which it, itself is secondhand from the transcriptionist person that created it, and they do edit and alter them. They don't put out a verbatim copy. Back to you. Oh, you got about 18 no, minutes no, to no, the top here. of the hour. Well, so anybody that wants to give us a call at 347 745 Wait, is call-in number, and if you can express yourself better than me, come on aboard. You would do a better job getting your point across than trying to do it in a text. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. And you know, he's mentioning the USS Liberty. Uh, I mean, that was, what, 1967 or, or something of that nature when the U- United States didn't quite, uh, you know, at least at that point, uh, you know, engage themselves in the, you know, the, the war there that was, was going on uh, with, you know, Israel and all their remaining neighbors. Um, and, you know, and that's something, you know, we can talk about outside, you know, in, in a different show. That's not what we're the focus of our, our program airs tonight. And, and if you want to uh, send emails and, and do what, some ideas for your show, if you want to come on to uh, talk about something on, on the show, you're certainly welcome to. And the way to do that, is by going to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the uh, contact page, the contact portal, as I call it, and you know, some, you know, send me some articles. Send me when you'd want to set up an actual time so we could take time out on the show. Uh, generally, an hour, hour and a half to do it uh, for one topic, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll flesh things out on the show. I mean, John, you know that we we do that here, so. If you want to uh, have that discussion, uh, you're certainly welcome to send me a message uh, by going to the contact portal at 
BardsLogicPoliticalTalk.com. Then go to the contact page. Some of the articles, you know, give me. We do live Wednesday evenings. Let me know when the date is that you want to, you know, have that topic on the show, and we can uh, look to get it scheduled uh, for you. Uh, we we were open to talk about a lot of topics here, so you're certainly welcome uh, to do so. Maybe uh, I got I got a friend who is more in line with uh, uh, be wise as serpents, uh, you know, take on events, and perhaps uh, he'd be interested in coming on as well because uh, he's kind of uh, believes in the same vein. Uh, it's actually some things him and I have uh, interesting, uh, not quite uh, heated discussions <laughs> by it, but he is a good friend of mine, uh, so it would be interesting to have him on the show. Uh, but I do have uh, – we, we are running out of time, and we only have an hour or so, and I still have uh, one more audio from uh, the events of today uh, with you know just some discussion if we want to. Uh, and then I've got that uh, podcast I want to play. Uh, which uh, loaned, we loaned um, the title for tonight's show uh, about uh, what they're doing. Um, so anyway, so again, you know, be wise of serpents if you are interested in, well, nothing to talk about. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can bring up your point uh, or not. I mean, I'm, I'm offering for you to uh, make your points and, and present your case, but if you're not interested, I mean, that, that, that's fine as well. Uh, because there's really not much you can cover, you know, not a whole lot you can cover in, you know, in just in a chat. Um, and then calling people, you know, ignorant, that's that's really not a way to, to prove your point either. So anyway, let's go ahead and uh, get the, this audio well, keyed up for you. Chairman Nash, thank you. I, I was struck this morning by the same thing as all my friends and colleagues on this side of the room. Chairman Nadler actually began this morning with the outrageous statement that the facts before us are undisputed. Of course, everyone here knows that that's simply not true. Every person here, every person watching at home knows full well that virtually everything here is disputed, from the fraudulent process and the broken procedure to the Democrats' unfounded claims. And... The full facts are obviously not before us today. Uh, we've been allowed no fact witnesses here as, at all. Uh, for the first time ever, this committee, which is the one in Congress that has the actual jurisdiction over impeachment, is being given no access to the underlying evidence that Adam Schiff and his political accomplices claim supports this whole charade. This is just a, a shocking denial of due process. And I, I want to say to our witnesses, I'm also a constitutional law attorney, and under normal circumstances, I really would greatly enjoy an academic discussion with you, a debate about the contours of Article 2, Section 4. But that would be an utter waste of our time today, because as has been highlighted so many times this morning, this whole production is a sham and a reckless path to a predetermined political outcome. And I want you to know it's an outcome that was predetermined by our Democrat colleagues a long time ago. The truth is House Democrats have been working to impeach President Donald J. Trump since the day he took his oath of office. Over the past three years, they've introduced four different resolutions seeking to impeach the president. Almost exactly two years ago, as one of the graphics up here shows, December 6, 2017, 58 House Democrats voted to begin impeachment proceedings. Of course, that was almost 20 months before the famous July 25th phone call with Ukraine's President Zelensky. And this other graphic up here is smaller, but it's interesting, too. I think it's important to reiterate for everybody watching at home, 
that of our 24 Democrat colleagues and friends on the other side of the room today, 17 out of 24 have already voted for impeachment. So, I mean, let's be honest. Let's not pretend that anybody cares anything about what's being said here today or the actual evidence or the facts. As Congresswoman Lofgren said, we come with open minds. That's not happening here. So much for an impartial jury. Several times this year, leading Democrats have frankly admitted in various interviews and correspondence that they really believe this entire strategy is necessary because, why? Because they want to stop the president's reelection. Even Speaker Pelosi said famously last month that, quote, it is dangerous to allow the American people to evaluate his performance at the ballot box. Speaker Pelosi has it exactly backwards. What is dangerous here is the precedent all this is setting for the future of our republic. I love what Professor Turley testified to this morning. He said, this is simply not how the impeachment of a president is done. His rhetorical question to all of our colleagues on the other side is still echoing throughout this chamber. He asked you to ask yourselves, where will this and where will you stand next time when this same kind of sham impeachment process is initiated against a president from your party? The real shame here today is that everything in Washington has become bitterly partisan, and this ugly chapter is not going to help that. It's going to make things really that much worse. President Turley said earlier that we are now living in the era that was feared by our founders, what Hamilton referred to as a period of agitated passions. I think that says it so well. This has indeed become an age of rage. President Washington warned in his farewell address in 1796 that extreme partisanship would lead us to the ruins of public liberty. Those were his words. This hyperpartisan impeachment is probably one of the most divisive and destructive things that we could possibly do to our American family. Let me, let me tell you what I heard from my constituents in multiple town halls and meetings back in my district just two days ago. The people of this country are sick of this. They're, they're sick of the politics of personal destruction. They're sick of this toxic atmosphere that is being created here, and they're deeply concerned about where all this will lead us in the years ahead, years ahead. rightfully so. You, you, you know what the greatest threat is? The thing that ought to keep every single one of us up at night is the rapidly eroding trust of the American people in their institutions. One of the critical presuppositions and foundations of a self-governing people in a constitutional republic is they will maintain a basic level of trust in their institutions, in the rule of law, in the system of justice, in, in the body of elected representatives, their citizen legislators in the Congress. The greatest danger of this fraudulent impeachment production is not what happens this afternoon or by Christmas or in the election next fall. The greatest danger is what this will do in the days ahead to our 243-year experiment in self-governance. What effect this foolish new president, this Pandora's box, will have upon our beleaguered nation six or seven years from now, a decade from now, in the ruins of public liberty that are being created by this terribly short-sighted exercise today. God help us. I yield back. Now, one thing I do wish they would have, you know, they would do more of <laughs> is actually ask questions and things of that nature. But uh, I think a process is to keep uh, is, is to keep them from doing that. I mean, when you only get five minutes, you know, there's not ro- a lot that you could squeeze into to nine minutes of uh, nine minutes of time. Uh, there just there just isn't, you know, enough time to do that. Uh, and so, you know, of course, they want to get their points out said. Uh, I, again, I do wish that you know they'd be able to they'd ask more questions. But now uh, through the audio, I, I thought I heard you uh, chiming in there, John, or asking something. Uh, but you, are you wanting to add in something on that or? 
Well, I wasn't actually trying to jump in and add in, but I was waiting for an opportunity. I thought that was great. He gave me a little prop. You always hear me talking about Article 4, Section 2 all the time on on your show, and he brought it up. And you know what's ironically funny, too? Is you remember the part when uh, that Pamela Carlin lady, the um, Stanford law professor, she was she said something about Barron and uh, Trump's son. Right. Yeah. And she brought up she brought up the point that I'm always making too. We have title, you know, the t- there's no they're not supposed to be any title of nobility in Article One, Sections Nine and Ten. And I was like, well, thank you. She actually made the point, and then she turned around and flipped it, meaning that she was actually doing the opposite of than what she was saying. That's that double speak I was talking about last show. How people say things but they actually have a double meaning for it, and she was actually using it kind of in a bad way. But also I wanted to point out, too, you know, Mike Johnson, man, he was great today, too, on all those points. Those are things that brought up in the past. But um, did you hear Louis Gohmert, what he said today? That I have to say I have not. Okay, well, there was one point he was doing a little interview with some reporters outside of the – uh, session and he said something to the effect speaking about these different um, law professors that were on this panel he said mamas don't let your babies grow up to go to Stanford or Harvard <laughs> uh, that's true that's true well, anyway we've got about seven minutes to the top of the hour so everybody if you want to get in on the call call 347-945-7428 that's 347-945-7428 at the top of the hour the show will go to phones only the internet connection goes dead but you can stay for the bard's logic after dark and share all your great insights and help us make the uh, america the greatest it's ever been back to you rob thank I appreciate it. And for those uh, who are out there, you know, listening or in the chat or uh, what's going to happen in about seven minutes, actually six minutes, is that your audio is going to cut off and we still will be on the show for about another hour. Uh, And if you'd like to uh, either chime in or listen to that hour, you're welcome to call us at 347-945-7428. And if you'd like to get into the show, you're certainly welcome. Just push the one on your number dial. And we'll get you to the show. But uh, if you do call in, uh, make sure that your uh, phone or whatever device you're using to call in is charged. Unfortunately, during that period, if you drop the call, uh, you would not be able to uh, call back in after the top of the hour. So that's literally about six minutes from now. Um, And so give us a call at 347-945-7428. And, uh, yeah, be wise as a serpent. I've heard that, too, where, you know, a lot of your presidents, like even Obama, somehow even Obama and and Bush is related. I mean, somebody even put an elaborate, you know, family tree of sorts together, which, you know, I've seen that and I've heard of it, you know, and there may be some stock in it. You know, I'm not saying there's not, um, but it did make up a good point about the Bar Association, the British accredited uh, registry. So <laughs> for attorneys, so you do bring up a great point there. Um, so yeah, Congress is full of attorneys. That's 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 true. Part of me would rather have them be filled with a lot of farmers. But anyway, not that I'm a farmer or anything. But anyway, yes, we do that at the top of the hour. Now I do want to uh, go to what loaned us the title for tonight's show, uh, and that is where uh, we have 
It said the plot against President Trump is bigger than many think. And uh, I do have uh, you know, a podcast I do want folks to listen to uh, from Newt Gingrich. And you know, he's got a speaker on – he's got a speaker on that uh, is going to tell you know, about uh, you know, the deep states uh, – what they say, deep slates plot uh, to take down a sitting president. And he will be uh, – has on there a, a veteran reporter, Lee Smith. Uh, and so let's uh, get that keyed up. Now, it is a longer than what I normally do for an audio clip. Uh, but I think that you know it is important to hear in its entirety. Uh, we will have a little bit of time to have uh, discussion on that. Uh, so, and then before I have to you know close things on the show. And again, if you'd like to chime in uh, by calling by the top of the hour, is a little less than four minutes left. That's three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Of course, you are welcome to uh, listen to the remainder of the show on the podcast. Because uh, all the shows are recorded, uh, so let's go ahead and get that started, and uh, we'll uh, hear from them. Friends and family at my inner circle, join Newt's inner circle today and get 20% off your one- or two-year membership for you. weekly standard for about seven years. When this story started to appear, the idea of the Russia collusion, it appeared to me obviously 
Actually, I think I got to rewind things. I think I muted uh, my own mic, so there's some silence there. I apologize for that. Let's, let me start that all over. I apologize. It's the season of giving, and we're celebrating friends and family at my inner circle. Join Newt's inner circle today and get 20% off your one- or two-year membership for you and get another membership to give to a friend at another 20% off. That's two Inner Circle memberships for 20% off the featured price. And you'll receive a special gift when you subscribe. Celebrate the holidays by signing up for my Inner Circle today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. Use code NEWT20. Hurry, this offer expires Sunday, December 8th. On this episode of Newt's World, they put all of us as Americans at risk. It's a little hard to believe they've been trying to impeach President Donald Trump since the day he was elected as president. And we have to ask ourselves why. Why has there been a focus on Trump as a corrupt president when he won the Electoral College decisively? In my judgment, the news media is mindlessly repeating this narrative, and they are biased against President Trump. And the intelligence community has been determined to uncover something on Trump from the beginning. Finally, a book has come out that explains this point of view, and the author is my guest today, unfolding the fascinating plot that explains why the left won't leave Trump alone. I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, Lee Smith, author of The Plot Against the President, the true story of how Congressman Devin Nunes uncovered the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. You really approach this with a remarkable background as a journalist. Could you talk a little bit about your own experience before you got to the book? Sure. I've worked in the press for about 30 years, places in New York like The Village Voice, Talk Magazine. Now I'm a columnist at a place called Tablet Magazine in New York, where I write a lot about the Middle East. I worked at the Weekly Standard for about seven years. So when this story started to appear, the idea of the Russia collusion, it appeared to me obviously nonsense, largely because I was raised in New York. Donald Trump has been a big figure in New York since my teenage years. I effectively grew up with Donald Trump. There are many things that can be said about the now president, about his life in New York. He's a famous celebrity, always in the tabloids. But the idea that one of the world's most famous men had somehow conducted a secret relationship with Russian state actors was preposterous. And so that immediately attracted me to the story. If you think about the duplicity and the complexity of the Middle East and the degree to which very often things on the surface aren't things under the surface, how much do you think your Middle East background helped you see the story differently than a traditional American reporter would have seen it? That's a really good question. I'd like to think that the press of even 15 years ago would have recognized immediately this was nonsense rather than participating in what was an information operation directed at a presidential candidate, then the president-elect, and now the president. One of the worrying things is you're precisely right it was the fact that this was so clearly a political operation conducted through the press in third world fashion 
that was alarming and that made it even easier for me to recognize these methods are third world. When you're joining intelligence services to the press, that is how the Arab press works. And unfortunately, that's how many Americans are now learning how to read the New York Times and Washington Post, where you will look at bylines and understand which part of the bureaucracy is speaking through these different press organizations, and in particular, these different reporters. We've always had that to a certain extent with particular columnists, but this is widespread now. It's astonishing. I did think your analysis of the economics of the collapse of overseas offices, the degree to which even large news organizations now rely on leaks from the Washington bureaucracy, and then the positive side, which is if they were adequately anti-Trump, their subscriptions went up. So they had a big vested interest in being anti-Trump. You mentioned that the Washington Post gained a million subscribers electronically. And the New York Times editor admitted in their town hall meeting that the one time they wrote a neutral headline, the reaction from their readers was so savage, they had to change it in a couple of hours because their readers wouldn't tolerate being neutral about Trump. You had to be hostile. I thought it's one of the more revealing moments in modern journalism. How do you make the jump then to Devin Nunes? What is it that said to you at some point, gee, this could be a book? The first thing was watching the congressman conduct this fight, taking on the bureaucracy, taking on the press. I date the beginnings of his fight to March 2017 when he went to the White House to notify them about evidence she had seen, and to see everyone attack him, but for him to keep pushing on, that is just such an incredible human story right there. Just to watch what the congressman was doing, I said, this is fantastic. This is great. Was that the day when you began to think about working with him and trying to find out what he was doing? After a little while, we spoke about the different things that were going on and the different things that I had observed, because I had a different perspective not able to look at the intelligence community in the way that he was, but I was looking at how the press was a part of this, how the press was operating. We began speaking a lot, and at a certain point I said, I'd like to write about this. I thought there was also actually a story in there, a human drama, which was about Devin Nunes, and as I came to speak more with him and meet some of the other people who had worked with him on his team, it struck me that this was the way to explain what had happened, to tell it through the congressman and his team. Cash Patel, one of the lead investigators, decided to name what they were doing Objective Medusa. And without these eight people, it's quite likely no one ever would have known what happened. So I wanted to also credit these people who had done the right thing. We have a very good idea now of what Obama's officials did, John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, but no one really had a very clear picture of what Congressman Nunes and his people had done. When I explained to him how I thought it should be told, he said, okay, sounds like a good idea. So we started speaking more and more. That's really how it came to be. Nunes himself, in some ways, is almost a Jimmy Stewart figure. A farmer really comes out of solid background of a family that worked hard and had done very well on the land. And somehow this guy ends up just being a rock who can't be moved. I mean, it's classically American. 
we as Americans tell these stories about people who do the right thing. Mr. Smith goes to Washington to make things right. It really happened. The Jimmy Stewart reference is very important because I describe him kind of a self-deprecating Jimmy Stewart character. But as we know, there's another aspect to Jimmy Stewart, too, which is the post-World War II Jimmy Stewart, where people talk about the different things that Jimmy Stewart saw during the war and how that shaped his worldview. People forget he was a general in the Air Force, that he flew combat missions. This pleasant, soft-spoken guy earned it the hard way. And I think, in, in a sense, Nunez fits that. doesn't go out to pick a fight, but he doesn't back up from a fight. My understanding is that the Intelligence Committee, they always wanted people with pretty moderate temperaments on that committee because most of the work they did was classified and they couldn't talk about it. So they didn't want barn burners on there. And I think that the congressman does have a very moderate temperament. That was also a sign when he came out and started speaking about these things and expressed alarm. That should have been an indication to more people to take it seriously. Historically, the Intelligence Committee, despite some tension, tended to be relatively bipartisan, and because it was dealing with all of 17 intelligence agencies and the effort worldwide to protect America, it had a really deep bias towards being serious and reaching beyond partisanship. So what's happened in the last couple of years, the rise of Schiff, the whole way that they've been operating, is a radical change coming up. The core story that every American needs to understand. It's the holiday season, and what better time to give than now? You know, you can't take your money with you. Go to deltarescue.org slash newt and learn more about how you can support Delta Rescue through estate planning this holiday. Delta Rescue is celebrating 40 years and is the only no-kill, care-for-life home for more than 1,500 dogs, cats, and horses that have all been abandoned in the wilderness. It is a mountaintop ranch in Los Angeles, beautifully landscaped and surrounded by rolling hills, the perfect sanctuary for our lost furry friends. You know how I feel about animals. They are pure souls who only want to give love and get love unconditionally. What founder Leo Grillo is doing at Delta Rescue is amazing helping to save and care for these innocent creatures so they can live safely and in peace. For more information, go directly to DeltaRescue.org slash Newt and ask for a free estate package. And since it's the holiday season, enjoy the movie Magic right there on the website free. It's a heartwarming story of a dog that is an angel played by Christopher Lloyd. Go to DeltaRescue.org slash Newt. Watch this holiday family movie and request Newt's free estate planning package. Again, my package is only available on DeltaRescue.org slash Newt. What's the core story that every American should understand about the problems we've been living through? (laughs) The way that I've put it, the Clinton campaign got a bunch of dirty cops, a spy on her political rival, the Trump campaign. After Donald Trump won the presidency, Obama intelligence officials rolled that into a coup. 
a lot of people around the country understand that story just like that. The important thing that Congressman Nunes has wanted to do, and I hope this book is a part of, is getting at the different details. The book is explaining how the bad guys did this, and it also explains how the good guys uncovered what they were up to. Because one of the amazing things is this is all a political operation, and the congressman talks about this a lot in the book. Everything was hidden under programs and instruments designed to keep Americans safe from terrorism and from hostile foreign actors. They hid things in a classified counterintelligence investigation. They hid things using classified human sources. They hid things using the secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act Court. So the idea that they hid what they did under these classified programs to disguise it, that's a really important part of the story. When the congressman released what's now come to be known as the Nunes Memo, they wanted to be very careful because unlike many of their counterparts on the Democratic side, and unlike many of the Obama officials, they take classified intelligence and classified information very seriously, and they weren't going to break the law. So it was important to get that out in a legal manner to the American people and to show them what exactly had happened. Well, what's really striking about the story as you outline it is that you have Nunes and his small team playing by the rules, being disadvantaged by their caution. And you have this extraordinary network of news media, professional bureaucracies, and Democratic politicians collectively violating every plausible rule of the American system. And it's kind of an astonishing to have both of those going on simultaneously. One of the things that I want people to understand is not only the, the virtues of the Nunes team, but also the very bad things that, as you said, the press, different intelligence officials, Democratic operatives did. I mean, these people actually put all Americans at risk by abusing these programs. When I first began going back and pulling together all the different early references to impeaching, et cetera, the first references are actually the day after the election. That's when it began. The intelligence community assessment which was, as Congressman Nunes says in the book, is a political document, the platform for the post-election, for what we now know the other side was actually calling a coup. Here's someone who is admitting that in January 2017 that there is actually an operation to take down the newly inaugurated president of the United States. So in your judgment, why was the news media so complicit in literally being spoon-fed by the bureaucracies and just sort of repeating it mindlessly, no matter how often they've been false, they come back and do it again? I think a lot of currents merged. I mean, it's fascinating when you look at what the national security beat is here in Washington. It just comes from leaks, right? It comes from different sources, many of whom are speaking off the record anonymously, and they're putting through different leaks to politicize things. In a sense, that is the core of the Russiagate operation, at least in the media. And then it merges with all sorts of other trends. It merges with an anti-Republican current in the media, 
And then, of course, it was specific about this president, President Trump. And then there's another, which is the financial model. What we used to know is the financial model of the press, depending on advertisements, is broken. And so these different currents merged. The fact is we're dealing with people who are operating in another universe. These are people who have turned the public sphere into a land of conspiracy. Actually, reading something and verifiable facts are not important for these people who are pushing this information operation. When you think about it that way, there's no there there, and they can make up whatever they want to make up. Coming up next, why the Mueller investigation was corrupt from the beginning. Hi, this is Newt Gingrich. After I served as Speaker of the House, I opened my own business, Gingrich 360. As a business owner, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. That is what NetSuite by Oracle is set out to solve, because most companies don't have a clear picture of their finances, and that is why many businesses fail. question for any business owner out there is, are you confident that you've got the right numbers at your fingertips? Serious entrepreneurs and finance teams run on NetSuite by Oracle the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite offers a full picture of all your finances, all in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. No more guessing. No more worry the way you don't know could kill your company. That's why NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and you can too. Schedule your free demo right now and receive their free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash newt. Set up your free demo and get your free guide today at netsuite.com slash newt. That's netsuite.com slash newt. When Robert Mueller left the stage for what seems like the last time, July 24th, many were optimistic that that would bring an end to the Russiagate nonsense. I was a bit more cautious. My sense was they've invested so much money and prestige in Russiagate. Why would they drop that instrument? The other thing is they pushed a conspiracy theory into the American public. It lasted there for three years, and it grew. It became increasingly more powerful. That's real power to inject a lie into a society and make people believe it. For a very significant number of Americans, maybe 40% of the American people, they now believe in an alternative world, which is probably not subject to facts because they go through cognitive dissonance. And if you tell them Mueller found nothing, they'll go, yeah, but now there's this new thing. And it's almost like as, as long as there's a big enough mound of accusations some of them must be true. Exactly. What if none of these things happen? I mean, it's really a remarkable thing how quickly our public sphere was corrupted like this. Of course, the press is at the center of it. We can come back to the Intelligence Committee. This is the committee which is supposed to be overseeing the intelligence community to make sure that they're serving the American public, keeping Americans safe, that these programs and instruments that they're using are on the up and up. And instead, this intelligence committee, led by Adam Schiff, 
is working with different officials to try to bring down the president. Once we look at what's actually happened here, what are they running now? It's an active CIA officer who is part of an operation to take down the president. It's mind-boggling. Instead of Democrats saying, hey, look, I don't like Trump either, but this is not the way to go about things. No one is doing that. To me, it was a very interesting part of your reporting was the fact that Nunes needs somebody who understands what's going on and turns to a professional prosecutor in Cash Patel. Patel, in some ways, is almost as important as Nunes in providing the knowledge and the capabilities. Explain a little bit about what his background was and why he mattered so much. Mr. Patel was a former DOJ prosecutor. He'd worked with many of the people that he later wound up investigating and looking into, like Andrew McCabe, like James Comey, like Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. He also knew what it took to be able to go against the DOJ. And as he explained it, if you can get their documents and see what they did, you have a leg up on them. It's a very powerful organization with lots of resources. And again, one of the important things to remember is how Congressman Nunes and his team, how overmatched they were. This was eight people. They were going against the bureaucracy. They're going against the press. They're going against the Democratic Party. So these eight people needed to figure out how to muster their resources, what to do. The other thing that Mr. Patel brought to this team was a skepticism regarding the DOJ and the FBI. Now, he worked at the DOJ, so he loves the FBI. He loves the DOJ. He talks about it all the time in the book. Great organization. I love doing these cases with my great colleagues. But as he explained, he also knew that these are not superhuman people, that there are some bad people at DOJ and the FBI. And he explained that to Congressman Nunes and his colleagues, who at first tended to dismiss him. As they soon came to learn, though, Mr. Petzel was correct. He had a very good reading on people like Comey and people like McCabe, Strzok. As I document in the book, Congressman Nunes and his team with Cash Patel at the front, this is what they found. Everything from the struck page letters to the role that Bruce Orr played as back channel to the FBI, that the FBI had used the Steele dossier paid for by the Clintons. They'd used that to obtain a warrant to spy an American citizen and collect the campaign's communications. A lot of this depended on Mr. Patel's insight and, as Congressman Nunes says in the book, his willingness to kick down doors. Next, the media's role in this scandal. It's the season of giving, and we're celebrating friends and family at My Inner Circle. Join Newt's Inner Circle today and get 20% off your one- or two-year membership for you and get another membership to give to a friend at another 20% off. That's two Inner Circle memberships for 20% off the featured price. And you'll receive a special gift when you subscribe. Celebrate the holidays by signing up for my Inner Circle today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. Use code NEWT20 at checkout. Hurry, this offer expires Sunday, December 8th.
At the very senior levels of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, you have a collective group who are all committed to destroying the president, every single one of them. I mean, that is so far outside the American sense of norms that it becomes almost impossible to believe. And, of course, the news media does everything they can to make it unbelievable. Part of what I was intrigued with when you look at the story you told in the plot against the president, you have this network of personal relationships. So Comey and Mueller and a whole group of these people, they knew each other. They had worked together, even Rosenstein. I mean, they were all, in a sense, part of a fraternity. And they're all winking and nodding as they collectively break the law. One of the things that's so striking in your book is this machinery that goes from the FBI or the CIA making something up, feeding it to the New York Times and the Washington Post, having them then print it. So now it begins to be a fact. And since the people who are supposed to investigate it are the people who planted it, this is why Nunes, in a sense, becomes one of the most important figures in the last few years, because without his tenacity and without his team, the stuff would still not be out there. I mean, we came very close to resembling Syria or Egypt or one of those countries where the power center simply runs over the people. This is what I mean about the relationship between the press and the intelligence services. This is exactly how things run. I've lived in Egypt. I've lived in Lebanon. This is exactly how it works. As for our prestige press organizations, I assume that there will be a place bearing the name the New York Times and the Washington Post for many, many years to come. But under no circumstances will it resemble what we grew up to know as the New York Times and Washington Post. The press has always tended toward the left. That's always been the case. But what we see now, these are not liberal publications. These are places that have been involved in intelligence operations with spies. I believe that once you've injected a conspiracy theory into the public sphere, you can't recover from that. I think that's it. We will have information. We will have a media. We will have a press. But the big names we know today, they'll just be political operations. That's it. Nothing like a media. Nothing like a press. Let me just say, I think you've made a major contribution to cutting through the noise and giving people a clear roadmap. And anybody who reads your book will see all of this very, very differently. I just want to thank you and tell you that I really think what you've done is a great contribution to where we are today. And I've seldom been as struck by a book being timely and important as yours is. Mr. Speaker, I can't tell you how honored I am by your words. I was hugely flattered that you were reading the book and that the fact that you enjoyed it, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Thank you very much. Good, folks. Again, you know, because of the times and what the, you know, what's going on, um, you know, I thought it was important to play all of, you know, that in its entirety. Uh, you know, again, in the with our topic uh, for this evening's show. And so what I'll do is uh, I do have a couple of folks on. Uh, I believe I still have Susan on and uh, John, and uh, I want to open it up to see if either one of you had any comments on that. 
I'm waiting for the lady first. Well, I guess we just have uh, Susan. No, uh, perhaps. Go ahead, John. Uh, Maybe uh, she stepped away or or, um, Mike's off. Go ahead. Yeah, she can interrupt and jump in at any point anyway. Yes, I was kind of fading in and out because when he would say certain things that uh, would prick my mind, then I would start thinking about that. And then I would go, well, then he went to a couple of little commercials in those, you know, little things. And then I thought, well, okay, I can think about something else. And then by the time he was back into the deal again, I was half out of my mind on other stuff. But anyway, the point, Devin Nunes and them finding out this information doesn't surprise me because the d- deep state, all these people, it's kind of like an insider trading issue that we've been talking about, the antitrust insider trading, because all these deep state people and the people in Congress and a lot of the um, staffers and I mean, you just, it's just like looking into what Edward Snowden revealed to us in, in Assange, you know, WikiLeaks, Julian Assange. They revealed to us a lot of the corruption that was going on. That's why I think Trump, if you're listening, you got to pardon um, Julian Assange, stop this espionage um, case. They're trying to whack him with 170 years in prison for 17 different fractions or something of the Espionage Act. And I'm like, here during the campaign, Trump, you were praising WikiLeaks for all the information and helping get the emails and all this stuff. And now you're letting the people in Congress run roughshod over him. And he's the one that helped us reveal all the corruption in the swamp. And then um, Edward Snowden, the same thing. He needs to be pardoned. And anyway, in, the, in Edward Snowden's book, Permanent And he, record, and he may. <laughs> I, I think well, after yeah, the election, Trump might be pardoning a lot of people. Yeah, but the the most recent things I've been hearing about Trump on these particular issues is like he was saying about Bradley Manning. Oh, he let a bunch. He took a bunch of information that was um, classified, you know. And he basically, I don't remember the exact wording he was saying, but he was giving me the impression that, you know, that guy needs to go back to jail because um, President Obama pardoned. The Bradley, I guess, or Brad Manning, whatever his name is, Chelsea Manning, Bradley Manning. But my thing is, is that if these people weren't bold enough and willing to risk their life and the future of their existence to reveal this information to us, most of us would not even know. And due to that, you know, the book's coming out and with um, William Benning and Thomas Drake and Daniel Ellsberg and uh, Russell Tice and John Kirikau. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Mike German. I mean, there's a bunch of these people that worked in the CIA and the NSA, and they're being, you know, like railroaded, trying to make sure their mouth gets shut. And I'm like, well, Trump, you don't need to be letting these people um, in our Congress that are part of the deep state crooks and the robber barons that have been running roughshod over you, use that stuff to try to um, shut the people up who helped us learn about all this stuff. But anyway, it's an antitrust insider trading scam because think about it. All these people that are part of the deep state and, you know, the robber barons and the uh, Federal Reserve um, 
banking, financial banking cartel people. They sit on these board of directors with all these multinational corporations who have no loyalty to the United States. They get in cahoots with some of these people that work in tech and in the deep state um, IT and IC community, and they actually get favors on the side because, I mean, Edward Snowden even spoke about that, while people that work inside the NSA would use some of the data mining techniques to spy on their lover or spy on a a distant friend or something to do different things. And that was just a few things he knew about. And so I'm sure there's a lot more going on in that the people at the top that's in the executive level management, especially in DARPA and some of these Um, labs with our military industrial complex where they're experimenting on people putting chips in their head and junk like that to make these ultimate soldier stuff. Oh, that's something, too. You can look that up online very easily, Rob. And Just look for DARPA, uh, Universal Soldier or Ultimate Soldier with chips and uh, brains and stuff. And last, it's been about three or four years I looked at that, and it actually comes up right from the military government website talking about how they're experimenting with that kind of junk. It's it's sick and crazy. But anyway, I'm I don't know that Nunez and them goes into that type of stuff, but definitely there's uh, insider trading and antitrust issues with all this data mining from all these different sources that they're doing with these technology companies and then the deep state people in the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and all these special um, um, inter-investigative departments, even in your local city police force, law enforcement. There are special investigation groups in there that use like um, MC catchers and uh, Stingray type technology devices where they can scam on your um, cell phones and stuff and they know all about how to crack your cell phone and get into your data and all that stuff and that's that's why I keep preaching about the fact that hey man these crazies that get access to all this data and then they do these um colluding, conspiring with these big business people to make sure that they're hiring only people that think like them so they can continue to have disloyalty to America but have loyalty to the globalist, you know, exclusive corporate governing mindset. And then that's how they're doing it, one by one. And then they introduce these stupid uh, – take everything, like I said, with a grain of salt. Every time I start talking about this stuff, my mind just runs, and then I want to tell you everything I can tell you, and then I'm like going, wait, man, I can't just overrun your show. So stop me and shut me up if you don't want me to keep going. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll keep rolling with it, brother. You want me to pause? No, just get, go ahead, John. But anyway, so the next thing you know, they're using their influence in in this data mining stuff to blackmail certain people that work in these different agencies, whether they be staffers, aides, or um, the bureaucratic heads that are in some of these bureaucratic agencies because, you know, Congress passes the buck a lot in putting together these ambiguous worded bills so that way the the bureaucracy heads and those people over there in those different bureaucracies can do all the dirty work and then the congressmen and senators have a, a scapegoat to blame it on so they don't have to face the music so to speak. But anyway they get these insider people that get access to all this data mining information they use it then I'm thinking we gotta be 
Trump, I hope, is being super careful because that's part of what they're trying to do with Trump right now. They just haven't figured out how to corner him, and that's why I keep wondering if he's not playing along with them in a way to keep us distorted. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that they're going to continue to use this system, and they're doing parallel construction. They have probably um, Trump's tax records and all of his returns already now, but they don't want to expose that to everybody because then everybody will say, oh, see, they're a bunch of fraudsters and crooks. They already have it. I bet you they already do. I don't know for certain. But they're going to hold the Senate over Trump's head forever from here on out, whether they actually get an impeachment trial or not in the Senate. They're basically going to be saying, hey, look, regardless of what happens in the Senate for any impeachment trial, we've already done our parallel construction. we got all this dirt on you, so that way, even when you leave office, if you ain't going to work with us to be some kind of cohort, cohort for us and to use your uh, influence and your resources to help us further our agenda, then there will be a point in time that even when you're out of office, we're going to drop the hammer on you and we will run you through our crooked court system and ring you out like you've never been ringed before. And they do that to everybody else. And if you don't, if you think I'm kidding, then I'm sorry, you're the blind leading the blind. It's just like the Democrats. They're being ripped off by the people that's leading them, and either the people that's leading them are ignorant and don't understand all that's going on, and so therefore they're just telling all of these other Democrats and people out in the mass public all this nonsense. So it's like they're either corrupt, knowing the difference, and they're just lying to the people, or they're just as ignorant themselves, and that's the blind leading the blind. And so I'm concerned that Trump is just going to be strung out, and this comes to a point what you mentioned too, Robert, probably three shows ago, where you said they're going to just keep using this um, every trick they can to keep something against Trump. If it ain't this little thing, then it's something else. But the point of it is, just like we were saying earlier, the, the fact that Biden was actually using the government resources and systems to say Ukraine you either get rid of that prosecutor that's you know trying to influence um, what is the name of that company his son Burisma. was working for Do what? Burisma. 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 yeah so he was basically you know Biden was basically doing what they're accusing Trump of doing, mm-hmm. but they're trying to keep all of us focused on the Trump issues and all of their innuendos and their recharacterization for psychological projectioning for mind control to make you believe what they are saying is true without them ever having to actually bring forth any true material facts and evidence that have actually been validated as credible and that been validated that they were um, obtained illegally. So therefore it's all a mind scam. Uh, And then, you know, they're blaming Trump for something that they've already been doing, and you've already made that. No, and that's too, projection. The, the Democrats always do that. On the Back to you. Well, yeah, Democrats do that. I mean, they're they're the masters of projection. I mean, they they what they try to do is re um use redirection to you know deflect what they're doing 
and to try to point the finger at somebody else and say, well, this is what they're doing when actually um, the opposite is true. They're, they're doing it themselves. They're, they're, masters at, they're masters at that. Yeah, because look, what happened when they found out about the email server and all the emails, and they knew that John Podesta and his brother and stuff were planning all of these tricks to have this uh, Uranium One stuff, Nick, um, go off with uh, the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and her staff over there at the at the State Department to sign off on the, this particular Canadian company to get all of the uranium um, mineral rights here in America, and they could sell it off to the to the Russians. That is actually right. conspiring with the Russians to defraud American out of our resources. And that's a national security problem. And what mm-hmm. kind of investigation did we get out of that? Nothing. nothing. Oh, there's nothing there. We can't research that. And, I mean, it, it was blatant in your face, thanks to WikiLeaks and a number of other people. And um, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and again, with Trump, I mean, for one, I think that, you know, I, I, really, I really don't know if they're going to have anything, you know, on him. It certainly wouldn't be money because he doesn't need it. Um, two is, I mean, I think they're going the, – the reason to reiterate, you know, what you mentioned I was talking about three weeks ago – is that I think they're just going to keep hammering on Trump, especially. I think. Well, here's the thing. I think that after 2020, uh, if you know, if, if Trump does get reelected, I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff calm down, because at that point, well, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But I mean, at that point, it's it's a ploy to try to get it where he don't get reelected. Now, after he gets reelected, I, I think that a lot of it's going to calm down because they're like, well, you know, we're stuck with them now. Um, but you know, I could still see with your point that you know they may still you know keep it going because what he is trying to expose, which I find utterly ironic, because you know for you know decades, literally almost a hundred years, people have been complaining about the corruption of Washington. He tries to expose it, and then the media get people to hate him for it. <laughs> you know, it's just like you know, of course, doing the projections of what they uh, were stating on that. Uh, that audio played earlier, the last audio, is, is the media is complicit uh, with them. I mean, I, I call the media the, you know, the propaganda arm, the alphabet media, I say, is the propaganda arm of the DNC, is, is the way I see it. Um, and that's all I, they, I that, that's all the they are state. anymore. I think the Washington establishment elitists that are corporate control freaks that want to exclusively govern – are Democrats and Republicans and also businessmen from around the world that are influencing the technology companies, and that's what I refer to as the deep state, but it's not only Democrats, in my humble opinion. Well, I'm sure there's some – well, and that's you know why in the beginning, you know, when Trump was first elected, before the, uh, the impeachment debacle – you know, you, you you had plenty of Republicans out there who were against Trump, and I think it's well. I mean, look at Paul Ryan. I mean, I think he's a perfect example, you know, of a Republican that was, uh, you know, definitely against definitely against Trump. I mean, I, I could see him being one of the people who, you know, would have been with the Democrats on impeachment, to be honest. Um, but you know, thank goodness he's gone. You know, he's not the. Uh, you know, or, yeah. you know, even the the minority whip or anything. I'm glad he's gone. 
Don't so, you but see now Ryan as I mean, a corporatist, though? What's that? Don't you see Ryan as a corporatist? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying he is, but it wouldn't surprise me. I'm sorry, John. What was that? I'm, uh, did I stomp on your tongue or something? No, no. I, I just asked what that was. I thought you 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 said something else about him being a corporatist. No, I was just saying he was. He's a uh, authoritarian uh, corporatist, in my humble opinion. So uh, to me, it's like that's one of the people that. Trump got out of the swamp, but it's just like Trump's going around to all these rallies, and then he's getting all of these different people to stand up, and you know, uh, Senator Flimsy Scam, you know, he, <laughs> to me, is a corporatist, too, but unfortunately, he's playing up to Trump to get his, you know, to be on it, make it look like he's on his side, but I guarantee you, in my humble opinion, him and you know, flimsy scams, buddy, uh, Senator Don Insane, who, you know, passed away here back, while back, they are corporatist. They like that exclusive corporate governing control, and they're not relinquishing power to we the people. Donald Trump might be saying that, but where's he actually getting it done? If you watch the bills that are being passed, they're using every opportunity to put more um, power into the hands of the corporations and the congressmen and take away from Trump. They're trying all the time. And I think many of these people that um, are Republicans that are showing themselves as being on Trump's side, they're actually just playing lip service to go along with the Kabuki theater in order to make Trump think that he's comfortable being around them so he might say something else that they can try to pin him on and hold it over his head to blackmail him later like I was talking about earlier but anyway back to you well yeah I mean in the first if you think about it first Lindsey Graham was not a Trump supporter um now we're seeing you know things maybe at least on the surface uh have changed uh but you know we'll you know we'll see. I mean, you know I don't know what kind of made the change, but I mean he really wasn't ever. You know I mean at least in the beginning again I I, didn't, I never seen uh, Lindsey Graham as a, a supporter of Trump. Well, I'm just leery. I, I hope that I can see Lindsey Graham actually care about the American people and not sell them out to corporate exclusive governing groups, but. I'm going to be very careful because he's proven himself throughout all of his existence in, in um, any level of government he's worked with. That he's um, part of that corpus mentality, and that's the way. That's why I was warning um, a couple of shows back about William Barr and and uh, who's the guy in state now, Pompeo. Remember, I mentioned George H. W. Bush, the Thousand Points of Light, One World Government group. They were a part of that, and you'd think mm-hmm. they're not just pushing the Trump now just to kind of keep him down, you know? Because Trump says stuff they don't like, and that's why I have a problem with him giving them ammunition. 
that's why I wish you'd calm down on what he says sometimes because he's actually giving them ammunition to keep beating up on him, and that they're using as just distraction tools to keep us all distracted while they keep passing hundreds of bills every month. They're, they've passed over a 1,000 bills so far since Trump got in office, and Trump only vetoed one. It's amazing what they're getting done, and it's all to the benefit of corporate control and and Congress taking back some of their power, but I don't see them helping get power to we the people. And what type of bills are those? I mean, do you, I mean, do you have any examples to cite for those? I'm not saying there aren't, there aren't there. That's why I'm asking what they are. What's that again? I've been, I've been focused on the political aspect of it. What, what yeah, bills? What, I mean, what, what do you mean by? Because I know you watch a lot of the C-SPAN. What bills are they passing for for that? Oh man, I'd have to go look and refresh my mind. It's I had. It's hard for me. I guess I did too much drugs and alcohol and stuff when I was younger. But um, there's all kinds of bills that are, at, in my humble opinion, they're like Suzette mentioned the last show about them trying to reauthorize the Patriot Act. And then they've done, okay. reauthorized the, what Freedom USA, and then they got other bills that they're actually embedding certain things into to to deputize certain people to be able to better scam you and whatnot. I'd have to pick those particular things out. A number of months ago, I read a list of the actual bills that were going. I make some notes and try to take care of some of that stuff, but it's hard to remember. I just remember the gist of what I see. It's kind of like I don't remember the actual wording of stuff, but I remember what it meant when I heard it. And that's why I talk about the double talk. I hear them say one thing, and then they turn around. And, well, it's like they're also passed a bill here a while back, and they put one amendment in the bill that actually is giving these international Interpol and uh, international criminal court groups to the right to be able to access our criminal databases uh, on some level, I couldn't figure out for sure because sometimes the way they word stuff, I, I'm not sure I'm understanding what I'm reading, but most of the time I do. And so I'm like, and then I, you listen to them on the floor whenever they're talking as much as I can, and and on the floor you get more of a just somebody's opinion about what's going on. But when you read the bill and then you try to make sense of what you heard on the floor and what you're reading yourself and what your past experience and knowledge and understanding brings to that discussion, whatever it is, then you can read it and at least partly figure it out. Because, man, when they write those bills, they're not writing them so the regular layman can understand exactly what it all means. That's why they can write things vaguely and ambiguous so that way if they have to discuss it in a session or a court case or whatnot, they get to pick out of 300,000 different laws to be able to manipulate it to their particular position. That's just like um, Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch said not even less than a week ago in one of his interviews, I think just in this past week, there's 300-some-odd thousand laws on the book. So all of us, every 300 and some million of us, if they really wanted to, they could find that we've broken at least 10 or more of those laws. And if they really wanted to, but using this insider information, you know, insider trading, antitrust kind of scam by data mining all our, our information and stuff, 
and and then using it against us, and that's against the Fourth Amendment. But you and I don't even have the same right to access the very same databases that your tax dollars and my tax dollars pay for. So we can hold everybody else accountable, like they're going to use it to hold us accountable. But he said basically any one of us could be taken to jail or you know accused of stuff because so many laws are on the books. And how many? Now he didn't say this part. How many laws have been passed without? the consent of the governed, so therefore you're just a legislative slave. You didn't have the same privileges and immunities that Article 4, Section 2 gave to, you know, any ever all the citizens because you've been deprived of that right to determine the burdens and encumbrances of governing, and now you're burdened and encumbered by somebody else's will because your will was not mutually and reciprocally included in all the rules, laws, processes, and procedures. So therefore, now you're being manipulated and accountable to, you know, somebody else's agenda when they pass all these laws. But he's telling us right there, you're at least probably guilty of 10 to 30 of those without even knowing what they are. If they wanted to really go into the <laughs> database and look it up and, and try to come and find you. And that that's maybe what they're going to be doing here pretty quick because you think Dragonfly and all the stuff that's going on in China with all their social and credit score stuff ain't here in America already, I guarantee you it is. And the development of 5G and AI and, and learning, machine learning and stuff, it's already in place. It's, it's not fully implemented, but it's already, they're reading license plates. You've got facial recognition out there on the street lights. You've got license plate readers. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's tracking everything you do in addition with you using your social security number at different places and that's connected to your credit mm-hmm. cards. Every charge you make, they connect that information. It goes, uh, and then they got, what, 17 football fields full of database storage out there in Utah for the NSA data um, storage system. And the, I mean, there's a lot to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, um, we are getting, unfortunately, to the end of the program. Uh, looking forward to next week. I don't know if uh, Be Wise as Serpents is going to, uh, you know, send me any information because, you know, I don't know if they want to actually do a, a whole show, um, but we'll see. But I do have, uh, you know, to end things. I, of course, as always, uh, John, I do appreciate yeah, I uh, you coming quick. on to the. Go, what, go ahead. What was that? I just wanted to say one. I didn't know you were going to end the show already, but I know it's you got about seven. Well, then, yeah, it's only a couple minutes. I got the the ending song and stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that the person that was saying, you know, wise as serpents and gentle as doves or harmless as doves. That's Matthew ten sixteen. But hey, here's the cool part. First Corinthians one twenty seven. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So it can't glory in the flesh. It's all about God, brother. Even you, whether you know it or not, You've got the Spirit of God in you, and he's doing great things through you, and you just haven't realized the greatness of what you are yet, Robert. I mean, I take that with a grain of salt. I just I just sense that you are a great spirit person, even though you don't accept God or that philosophy, but you've done enough study in it, and I believe that you truly are greater than what you, than what you realize. 
that's just my opinion, but take, take it with a grain of salt. And it, there ain't much credibility behind what I say, I don't think. But anyway, thank you for the time. Thank you for the great work you're doing on this show. And wish you all the best. And talk to you next week, I guess. Sounds good. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, really appreciate that, John. And unfortunately, I will have to uh, close things out. Of course, we want to thank everyone for uh, coming on. And so, of course, we want to uh, welcome you back next week uh, to uh, our show. We'll continue things on, I'm sure, uh, with this uh, impeachment you know, thing going on. Uh, then we're not going to really have uh, a lack of material uh, to <laughs> – uh, to, to talk about And so I will uh, of course conclude uh, By ending the show tonight as I do every night And that is with that song by Aubrey Ashburn and she's doing art Now so maybe we'll get her on the show at some Point to uh, talk about her, her Art but uh, I don't think she does many Interviews now so uh, but thank you again We'll see you next time uh, See you then and good night mm-hmm.